This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to Composite Two-Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between I'm your one-star host, Chris Trevino, and as always, I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Hurricane Martinez. Gerard, how you doing? Another late-night composite two-star recruit show. Not a bad thing. It was 106 out here in the IE today, and I think it's just going to get hotter. (laughs) So a later, cooler, you know, the air conditioning has been battling all day, and we're finally getting back down to the uh, low 70s in the house, which is where I like to keep it. So, yeah, I'm not complaining too much. Uh, Having a podcast in the middle of the day and probably having to go out to the garage because the kids are still running around uh, would not be beneficial to my house at this point. That garage is a hot box right now. A lot of this late night schedule recently has to do with the uh, the way USC's practice schedule is. I'm still trying to figure it out, but it also is nice that you get to do it at night and avoid that that heat wave out there. Because I do want to take care of Hurricane. I I, I need you at tip top uh, podcasting shape, uh, Gerard. I can't I can't have you passing out in the middle of a podcast due to heat. Yeah, man, I don't want to be like uh, that FedEx UPS worker that uh, just uh, collapsed uh, in front oh of goodness. the ring. Uh, a couple months ago, I think he was out in Arizona, and uh, you know that's that's where he's going to go down, man. I'm just going to go until I collapse. You know, there's not going to be any sort of timeout, need a break, uh, heat exhaustion, or nothing, man. Let's go. Do you ever have to wear the the trash bag for football? No, I never no. did that. No, some never, of, the, some of my teammates did. They were like, "Oh, I gotta, I gotta lose weight before the season. I gotta drop," and they did that. And I always thought that was kind of corny, but no, I never, I never did the trash bag thing. Well, there you go. Well, we have another jam-packed late-night show. Uh, The streak kind of continues, kind of doesn't continue. We're going to talk about that. But we do have a big, new, shiny commitment to talk about for the USC Trojans. And we're going to get into that in a minute. But, Gerard, you know who is also committed? I do. And that's our official sponsor. You are absolutely right, Hurricane. If you missed last week's episode, we have our first official sponsor of the Composite Two-Star Recruits, and that would be mega Los Angeles real estate agent Meredith Schlosser, the official sponsor of the Composite Two-Star Recruits. We really appreciate her and her team, and her and her team are committed to helping their clients find the perfect home for them or seller because they also do sales as one of the top real estate agents in Los Angeles with over $600 million in sales and more than 200 five-star Zillow reviews Meredith has not only represented uh, Joan Levis, who introduced us to our, who introduced her to our show, but also Justin Silverstein, head coach of USC's women's USC women's golf, and Jeannie Buss, president of the Los Angeles Lakers. But don't be intimidated when you hear NBA royalty like Jeannie Buss. Meredith works with a wide range of clients from recent college graduates, first-time buyers, first-time sellers, and much more. 
Meredith is backed by a full-service team that allows her to service this wide range of clientele for rental sales and purchases. She also has extensive experience with first-time home buyers and sellers. More recently, Meredith was recognized by Wall Street Journal within the top 1.5% of agents in the nation. You can learn more about Meredith and her team at www.meredithschlosser.com. That's S-C-H-L-O-S-S-E-R. And on Instagram, you can follow her at Meredith Real Estate. Jar, that's a perfect match because we are actually in the top 1.5% of USC recruiting podcasts with two Latino podcast hosts. Did you know that? I did not know that, but I did know that was going to be a mouthful for you to be able (laughs) to get out. And it was. I should have taken some of that promo from you. That was a lot for you. That was a little bit of a tongue twister, but you got through it, and uh, now you can take a deep breath. Well, there you go. We got through it. Thank you to Meredith, Meredith Schlosser, and her real estate agency. You can follow them at those places listed above. And I'm really happy that she is our official sponsor. I'm actually rocking. She gave me a a, a, a hat to wear with her brand. Gerard, do you want one? You're yeah, a hat sure. guy? You're not, yeah, yeah, we'll get you one. We'll I'm a hat one. guy for sure. I'm not a hat guy like Shotgun's a hat guy, but I'm That's a hat true. Guy. That's true. I can't really say you're a hat guy when we have a guy like Shotgun on the staff. But let's jump in. To the cold open, Gerard. We got a big commitment to talk about. That would be four-star Red Mountain High School wide receiver Jacoby Lane, six foot four, hundred and seventy-five pounds. He's rated number three seventy-four nationally in the twenty-four-seven Sports Composite. Number forty-nine wide receiver in the composite. Number eight recruit out of Arizona. Much higher in the twenty-four twenty-four-seven Sports Rankings. He's got a ninety overall rating. And he's the number 30 wide receiver overall. Uh, Gerard, people want to know, does this does the streak still count? Because we talked about it on the podcast last week that we didn't have a commitment to talk about. After a string of, I believe, five podcasts where we had a commitment to talk about at the top of the show. But here comes Jacoby Lane, commits on a Friday. Obviously, that's not our schedule, Gerard. So people want to know, is the streak continue or is it officially dead? Does this Does this help us get back on track? I mean, it may help us get back on track, but no, the streak is ended. You know, we okay. didn't talk about it on the podcast. You're right. Okay. So it is what it is. I don't know that we had a streak of five. Five seems like a big number. I thought it was like three. And maybe there I was, thought it was five. another break in between. Like there was a week off there where we didn't have a commitment. So I don't know if it was actually five, but there was definitely a streak and there's definitely a, a ton of momentum for USC. I mean, this is the point in which we wondered going into June whether USC was going to have this type of momentum going into the season. You know, were they going to have a handful of those guys from that big weekend commit? And here we have Jacoby Lane, who hasn't even visited USC yet, right. let alone taken an official visit. So adding to that number, we're, I think we're over 16 now, Chris Trevino. I think we're at 17. There could be yeah. another commit coming soon. Could be 18. Uh-oh. But it's not going to – oh, I guess we said – we didn't say September. We said the season opener. So you we have a little more season. time. You have yeah. a little more time to get that 18. Yeah, we have we have some days. It's, not, it's probably not going to happen before the beginning of the season officially. But, I mean, it was 17, so we split it down the middle. Um, obviously, off of my original prediction that it could have been 20, and uh, certainly if they would have gotten maybe another big commitment in there, um, they would have gotten that 20 number. So it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't that far off, but uh, USC 
it's a big commitment from wide receiver. You know, they've got three wide receivers now. You know, you've got Makai Lemming, you've got Zach Branch, and you've got Jacoby Lane. And we talked about this, you know, for a few weeks with the different body types that they were offering scholarships to coming away from uh, the Brennan Enos commitment to Ohio State. You know, where's USC in terms of their board at recruiting receivers? Do they continue to want to go for, you know, sort of the six foot, five, 11 guys? Or they're going to go with someone who may complement what they already have a little more. And it seemed like they were going in a direction. And certainly Lane does that. Talked about him being a little bit of a, like, you know, like a poor man's Dwayne Jarrett. I, I don't think he's quite that twitchy. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think similar in terms of the, the skill set, has great ball skills, catches the ball well above his head. Um, I think he's improved speed-wise off the line of scrimmage, which is that is very important. Physicality is still a little bit of a question, I think, for him. You want to see him evolve from that standpoint. He's pretty slight in terms of his build, but he's definitely tall, vertical type of threat. Uh, not a possession receiver that's going to be uh, the kind of guy you're going to throw a bunch of slant routes to or a bunch of comeback routes to, and he's just going to bully the wide receivers like a Drake London or mm-hmm. Mike Williams. He's definitely more of the Dwayne Jarrett sort of getting uh, slim down the hash marks and being a little more of a vertical threat for that 50-50 ball. So um, definitely a a great add to what USC already has. Certainly a very interesting commitment in that, you know, USC just offered him a scholarship. A lot of people thought he was going to go to Oregon. There was a lot of smoke to Oregon. And he's got family that was really pushing him to Oregon. And we have to also say, some family that was not very happy about him committing to USC. Does that kind of open things up a little bit uh, as we get into the season, as we go on? Is this, you know, a solid commitment that USC just puts in his back pocket and doesn't think about recruiting receivers anymore? No, I don't think so. Having talked to as many people as we talked to and getting kind of behind the scenes on this story in the process of trying to get a hold of Jacoby Lane and talking a little bit about why he committed to USC. There's definitely going to be some influences there for him that may keep the recruiting process still ongoing for him to some extent. He's happy about his commitment to USC. He's happy about his decision, but certainly there are going to be uh, some factors there that could maybe give Oregon a run at him down the line. So this is one USC is going to have to stay on top of. There's various different things going on in the background. And I don't like to get into too much personal stuff. I don't think mm-hmm. that's people's business. At the end of the day, committed to USC. But I think it's one of those things where USC is going to have to continue to recruit him and possibly just kind of keep their ear open and maybe keep their foot in the door with some other receivers as well, uh, just in case something changes down the line. You, you talked about Oregon smoke. Gerard, there was downright embers in that in that building for that for that uh that commitment possibly to Oregon you know he had seven I believe seven crystal balls in for the Ducks and he talked about he was on record as saying you know Oregon was a big dream school for him and even talked about how he almost committed after taking a visit there he was this close to kind of pulling that trigger and and joining their class so this is another we've talked about it before with Micah Benuelos and Alani Noah this is another win for USC over the Oregon Ducks. And I know if you look at social media, any Oregon Duck fan will say that Oregon pulled his offer and that's why he's he's at USC right now. But 
right now, I think this is a, a very steady trend of wins right now going on for USC over the Ducks. And I don't think we can count this one out again as an, a significant development in that that rivalry, that recruiting rivalry. Yeah, judging from what we got, you know, some background and some of the things that the family had said, uh, I think USC definitely beat out Oregon here. I think I don't th- I don't think anybody pulled any scholarships and there was definitely a feeling uh, even among uh, some people very close to him that uh, Oregon was the school and, and a feeling that Oregon should have been the school, in fact. And so that doesn't read as a scholarship being pulled or Oregon cooled on him at all. I think that um, Oregon was still there and, and may still be involved with him, as I said, uh, as the process goes on. Um, maybe, you know, they decide, hey, you know what, we, we're, we're going to go in a different direction because, uh, you know, we felt like we were in a good place and, you know, he went to USC. You never know how the schools and the coaching staffs that are recruiting these kids feel and, you know, the emotions and the competitiveness that goes on with the recruiting process. Sometimes, you know, those things just uh, you'd rather just kind of start with a clean slate and, and move in another direction. And I don't know what Oregon's, you know, wide receiver board looks like, but I know what USC's wide receiver board looks like. And, and it definitely was tilted towards going after some bigger receivers, some taller receivers, some guys that, uh, again, complemented what they already have on the board and certainly, you know, what they already have on the roster too, because mm-hmm. we have to look at what USC has uh, at the wide receiver position. I mean, they've been known over the years for having big wide receivers, but this wide receiver room that they have uh, at present day, isn't really one that reflects that. This is certainly over time been a sort of air raid type of receiver room. And the receivers that they've brought in over the years have been bent more towards speed than size. So, you know, of the guys that they have, you're really only looking at maybe Kyron Ware Hudson, um, Brennan Rice. Uh, to some extent, you could maybe throw Kyle Ford in there. You know, these are guys that are in that 6'2", 200-plus pound range, but none of these guys are 6'4", 6'5". I know? would throw in C.J. Williams in that conversation, too. Yeah, maybe C.J. Williams. I mean, th- those guys are sort of possession receivers, but – they're not big receivers. They're not Mike Williams, Patrick Turner, David Osbury, um, Dwayne Jarrett. You know, the list goes on and on for the type of players that USC has had in recent years. Michael Pittman that have been big receivers and, and played like big receivers. This is definitely a group that's made more of the guys that are good in space, that are quick, that can get verticals. So, you know, Gary Bryant, uh, Taj Washington, Michael Jackson, uh, and then you bring in guys like Mario Williams or Jordan Addison. These are smaller receivers or slider receivers. They're guys that are more of the build of, of like a Robert Woods, maybe a Marquis Lee. So it's a different sort of body type that USC has on the roster right now. So they don't have any 6'4 type guys. And I think comparing or combining the, the, the success that they've had with big receivers, with, with Drake London and, and Mike Williams and all those guys that I just mentioned, with the fact that they don't have those guys on the roster, I think – creates a great opportunity for Demis Simmons and Lincoln Riley to be able to recruit that type of player. It's like, look at all the success traditionally we've had on the books for that makeup of player. And then the fact that we have a lot of smaller guys on the roster right now, still having an offense, which is going to be uh, very opportunistic uh, in trying to get the ball downfield to receivers. I think it's, it's a great formula to be able to recruit bigger receivers. Uh, now, certainly, we talked a little bit about Lincoln Riley and his offense at Oklahoma, 
and the body type and profile of receivers that had been successful there, most of those guys were in that, you know, six foot, six one range, not a lot of bigger receivers. Um, so it'll be interesting, you know, to have that ability to recruit those players just based on the tradition that USC has had with those type of players uh, will be interesting. Right. And just looking at it on paper, a perfect fit for USC and Jacoby, just because, as you mentioned, there wasn't any big body receivers. They didn't have a six foot four guy. Brendan Rice is probably your biggest receiver. And you're definitely looking at the wide receiver room. You're like, they need some size, baby. They need some guy that's going to really go up and get it. High point the bar. I mean, Jordan Addison, you know, is really good at get, going up in the air and getting it. Brendan Rice is really good at that. But again, they needed that guy who's like six foot four, pushing six foot five to go up there and be a be a monster in the middle of the field or down the field or in, in the red zone. So I really like the pickup. And, you know, you're looking at the entire wide receiver class right now. You mentioned, I mean, it's really hard to beat Gerard just with Zachariah Branch, the number one receiver in the country, and Makai Lemon, who Put on a bit of a performance out in Florida, Gerard. We're going to get into that. But just overall, this is a stacked wide receiver class. And I don't think USC fans were really worried that this wasn't going to be probably one of the most stacked units uh, for a Lincoln-Riley recruiting class. Yeah, and it's it's balanced. You know, Mm -hmm. if we looked at where they were, let's say, in March, and we were talking about, okay, Brendan Enos, probably going to be a part of that class. A lot of people were picking, hey, USC's probably elite school here. Uh, you know, you're kind of getting a little bit of overlap there, maybe with what he does and with what Makai Lemon can do, right? And so here you're getting someone who does something a bit different. Um, not necessarily, like I said, a super physical wide receiver. He's he's a bigger wide receiver, but he's bigger uh, in terms of his linear build, his vertical ability. Not necessarily because he's, you know, a big bully. He's, he's not, he's not, not Kyle a, Ford. Yeah. Yeah. Not, Kyle not, Ford. not, not Kyle Ford. Certainly not, you know, the, the Drake London, Mike Williams, like just because he's a six, four guy, not all six, four guys play the same. Like they, they, there's definitely some difference between uh, one player to the next. And I, and I don't know, you know, with USC's offense and in terms of scheme and what the coaches look for, does that guy actually play wide receiver in the offense or do they want to try to convert him to being a tight end? You know, I mean, you could look at a guy like Nick Harbour and make that argument, you know, maybe he should be a little more of a wide receiver hybrid type guy than a flat out tight end or, or Deuce Robinson. Although we've seen Deuce Robinson now in person, I think he's 100% tight end. I don't think that's a guy that you're splitting wide a whole bunch. I think you would do him a disservice by putting him out there. He's a guy that is a very prototypical pro type of tight end at 250 pounds so you know there are guys out there that you know have that size but can get away with it with their athleticism that they can actually be legitimate wide receivers a lot of people talked about drake london ultimately being a tight end coming out of high school when he was at moore park and i said no he he's got the feet he's got the quickness and he's deceptively fast downfield and he's so good with the ball in his hands i mean after he catches the ball i think the two things that always stood stood out to me about him were a how, how much of a dog he was as a blocker mm-hmm. and be how good he was with the ball in his hands after he caught it. I mean, it, it was very much like Mike Williams back in the day when he caught the ball, he was looking to score. And a lot of guys just don't have that mentality. They catch the ball. And it's like, okay, cool. I caught the ball. Can I get a few more yards here or there? I know there's going to be somebody close to me tackling me. And once I get touched, I'm going down. You know, Drake London didn't have that mentality. Neither did Mike Williams different types of big wide receivers. 
Whereas I think, you know, with Jacoby Lane, a little more like a Dwayne Jarrett where he's not, yeah, you're not going to look for him, you know, across the middle, catch the ball and all of a sudden break five tackles to get in the end zone. He's a guy that, you know, is going to play the 50, 50 ball. He's going to do a lot, I think outside the hash marks for USC, uh, but he is definitely a different type of receiver than they have already in terms of the window that you're trying to deliver the ball in. Drake London, one of the, uh, one of the hurricane dandies for you, Gerard, I know you, you labeled him one of your own five stars in that class. That was one of the guys I think we all were really high on him. I think that was yeah. one of the things that we talked about the two Drakes, you know. <laughs> none <laughs> higher than you, though. Class. None higher than you. I want that on record. Well, we were we were very high on both Drake Jackson and Drake London in that class, and they both really could end up being five stars. And I think, uh, you know, obviously Drake London becoming a first-round pick, he gets that nod. I think Drake Jackson would have been maybe a first-round pick if he would have actually played his true position um, on defensive line a little more than doing the hybrid thing, but we've talked about that. So we won't, we won't die. We'll, we'll, we'll rehash all the, uh, the stuff about Drake London playing outside linebacker as opposed to being a five technique or a three technique. And just wrapping up the cold open and kind of our Jacoby lane discussion. I did see him for a little bit out when I went to uh, the Vegas OT seven tournament, his, his team was out there. Uh, I remember seeing him, but again, he wasn't really, he wasn't on USC's radar. He didn't have an offer, obviously, and they were also recruiting, obviously, Brandon Innes for that third spot for USC. So that's who I was kind of following. But I do remember watching him and his Arizona team warm up. I remember standing next to Blair Angulo, who covers, you know, our mountain regions, including Arizona. And he was talking to someone else, and I was just kind of, you know, overhearing, listening. And they were talking about how this guy's a dude. You know, you look at him, six foot four. it's a legit size. And I was watching him kind of warm up. Very springboardy, kind of pogo stick. That's the kind of jump he has in those legs. He's going to need to put on some weight, you know, maybe get him to like 190 or whatever. But great frame, great hands. He was, he was when I did see him play a little bit, he was making some impressive catches. So look at his highlight film. He's got some impressive one-handed catches in the end zone. So I think this guy is going to be a, put up a lot of highlights uh, for, for USC's future offense and really good pickup. And USC's rolling right now. Yeah, so, and, and interject one last thing about mm-hmm, him is that mm-hmm. he is the product of the May evaluation period. I mean, all his scholarship mm-hmm. offers, major scholarship offers, really came at the back end of the May evaluation period and over the summer. So this is not a player that people liked his huddle film as a sophomore, and he's sort of the same player as he was two years ago. This is a guy that they offered a scholarship because of what he's doing right now and what he looks like right now. And I think a lot of that has to do with his explosion off the line, his speed. If you watch his later film as opposed to some of his film back in the day when he was an underclassman, he just wasn't quite as quick. And I think that's a big deal. When you get a 6'4 guy, he's got to be able to get off the line. You know, people always think about, well, you know, you get a bigger receiver. He can sort of bully those corners. Not all the time. You can be just a bigger target for a good cornerback, a, a guy that's even small. I mean, I know some of the players like Nikel Roby, who is, you know, 5'8", five, 5'9", five, and he would just embed himself right underneath those pads at the line of scrimmage and press coverage. And if you weren't good at getting off the line, I didn't care if you were 6'5", or you were 6'1", he would stop you at the line of scrimmage. You could not get into your route. So guys have to be quick off their breaks. And if you're a big receiver – you still have to be quick and have to be swift to be able to get away from that press type coverage. And so I think he improved in that area a bit. I think that's really one of the things where he got better. And certainly, you know, he was able to get out there and do some things in some of these tournaments and that probably uh, grabbed some eyeballs as well. So this is a guy that's, you know, gained a lot of his notoriety and his scholarship offers from what he's done lately. And that's always good because you want to recruit the best 
junior and senior high school football players in the nation. You don't want to actually have the best class of freshmen and sophomore high school football players right. in the nation. You want the guys that have shown that they're actually getting better and their trajectory talent and skill wise is on the up and they haven't plateaued in high school. And with that, Gerard, are you ready to talk about some Friday night lights? Yeah, we uh, were everywhere again. <laughs> and there were some major games last uh, week, and we talked a little bit about that from a preview standpoint. And it seems like a lot of those games kind of went exactly how we thought they were going to go. Right. And for you and I, I guess we can start there where we headed out. We actually kind of redoubled up where we were in week one. I went to go see Long Beach uh, Poly against Sarah. I saw Sarah first week against Olu take a one-point loss. And you were back out uh, to see Rancho Cucamonga. They hosted They hosted or they went to? They hosted Apple Valley. Apple Valley. And you got a close game this time. Yeah, we got a one-point game, uh, which was uh, Apple Valley and Rancho kind of becoming a little bit like rivals uh, in that division because they've had some real close games uh, past couple of years. So. I went back out there to go check out a little more Christian Pierce. Saw him against Servite and had a pretty dominant win. And that was a, a running team. And Servite's not going to be great this year. So I wanted to follow up and get a little more film of him uh, for the Trojan fans to be able to kind of see him. He's a three-star right now. And I think we feel pretty confident he's a four-star level talent. Uh, but we're also uh, given the opportunity to, say, uh, to see Raymond Paluto, uh, who right. was at Bosco uh, earlier in the summer. He transferred from Apple Valley over to Bosco and then uh, was going to have to sit out. And so he ended up going back to Apple Valley. So we hadn't seen him. And it, it's interesting because USC really did not recruit him very much. Uh, and then he turns around. He has a bunch of good scholarship offers and he picks Alabama over Oregon. So kind of interesting to see Alabama come all the way out here for an offensive lineman when, you know, all we do is talk about offensive linemen on the peristyle so much because Trojan right. fans know how important that position is to them making championship runs. You know, offensive line recruiting over the past three, four years has been pretty bad for USC. And so anytime you've got a big body, Trojan fans are, are, are very uh, aware of those players. And uh, this is one guy that USC really did not recruit. And so I was able to watch him uh, play this weekend. And? <laughs> and uh, he was okay. You know, he played a lot of left guard. He's big. He, uh, Can he play? <laughs> he's about six foot seven, and he's, and he's enlisted at like 340, I think, which is, I think, pretty accurate to, to where he is. Um, that's pretty big for an interior guy, though. I, I think that's the one thing that stood out to me. Kind of body type and the way he played reminds me a bit of – Andres Dork, uh, who is uh, mm. at USC right now, who they recruited uh, a couple of years ago, um, a big guy. But in terms of uh, his athleticism and the way he moves, you kind of want to put him inside. So we're just going to have to see if if that's going to work out, you know, for him in Alabama uh, from the standpoint of of being, you know, six foot seven legitimately. Uh, and, but having to play inside is just difficult because you got to really drop your butt. And you got to have some leverage because you're going to be playing against some six, three guys, six, four guys on the defensive line, and they're going to have a lot of leverage on you. You know, they're going to get right underneath your pads. They're going to walk you back to the quarterback if you can't get low enough. So um, interesting that, you know, Alabama decided to come all the way out here and, and get him recruited. Uh, definitely a big body. Uh, like I said, he, he shows some quickness and some mobility, you know, usually getting upfield straight above him. It's not necessarily 
like you want to pull him a lot or, or do a lot of trap blocks. I think he's best when he's got his shoulder squared and he's getting up field. So uh, it was interesting to watch him. Uh, Ranch Cookmunga was able to pull out the win. It was a sloppy, sloppy game. A lot of penalties. Ranch Cookmunga didn't do themselves any uh, any favors. They had a couple turnovers and um, they were up 13-3. And it looked like it's going to be sort of like the Servite game and they were going to be able to open that up a little bit. And they just never did. And it was 13-3 for the longest time. And then Apple Valley started to chip away a bit and uh, just were just running and grinding. And they had uh, an opportunity where I think Ranch Cucamonga, the punter, ended up putting his knee on the ground to get a low punt because they had several issues with punts and the snap. And so the punter ended up going down for a low punt and he put his knee on the ground. So Apple Valley ended up getting the ball there at the, uh, you know, it was like the 20-yard line or something. And they were able to punch it in. And um, then uh, they ended up uh, getting a safety, Ranch Cucamonga, and the defense was able to hold despite, I think there was two possessions there in the fourth quarter where Apple Valley was inside the red zone. So the defense held and um, they were able to come out with the win. And uh, Christian Pierce was, was, was really good once again, played near the line of scrimmage, another running team, a little, another physical team. So he played almost like a semi-linebacker, kind of did the Tackett Curtis thing where he was like single high, but ended up running up near the line of scrimmage almost every play. So it was interesting, interesting to see him a few times where he's pushing up on the line of scrimmage and then it's a play action and he has to all of a sudden turn and go really fast to get back over the top and be able to play pass coverage. So, um, you know, we put that uh, video up earlier this week on uh, check that out check that out that's that's up that's a good six minutes of him playing iso film against Servite and apple valley and then uh we got uh, three or four minutes of uh, raymond paluto that actually went up um you know gave it to the alabama site but we we have it on uscfootball.com as well so you know people can uh, evaluate that and see you know if usc made a good choice in deciding uh, to not offer him and not really pursue him now this is where you prompt me about my game (laughs) so (laughs) You go back and you see Sarah <laughs> once again. You know, you saw Sarah, which was actually week zero. And now you get to see him against Long Beach Poly, a stronger team, uh, a team that looks like they could potentially go pretty far in the playoffs once again. Um, USC's got two commitments on that team, and they're still pursuing another guy in Daylin Austin, who's committed to LSU, I guess, first and foremost. How did the USC commits look? Well, the the standout for me was obviously uh, Dylan Williams. This was my first time. The 2024 uh, linebacker commits, six foot two, uh, two two ten, two fifteen. This is kind of my first time seeing him up close. You know, you can see a guy in pictures or on film or what have you, but you you like to get to a game. You like to see him up close, and he's big, Gerard, and he's got a. He doesn't quite have. It's not an elephant head, but he's got a, a big jaw. And he looks like a linebacker. And he was clear that he was the guy. You know, when they came out of the tunnel, Dylan Williams was up front. He had those USC gloves on, leading leading the warm-ups, leading the breakdowns. This was his defense. And you kind of saw it out there on the field. He was playing a lot of sort of like an edge rusher. He was kind of playing that rush end spot. I know they want him to play kind of that will like will linebacker, that weak side linebacker. But he was playing a lot. I would say 80% of the time he was playing – right there at the line of scrimmage, kind of hanging off the tackle there, either rushing or kind of dropping back. Sometimes he would shift inside to play a more traditional inside linebacker role. But for the most part, he was coming off that edge, trying to wreak havoc, 
He didn't, you know, light up with a ton of tackles. I think in his first game he had about 11 tackles, four tackles for a loss. Not that kind of stat night for him against Sarah, which, you know, wasn't dropping back a lot, throw the ball. Obviously, we, we talked about how they do not have a quarterback issue. And this week they went strictly Jason Mitchell at quarterback. They did not kind of flip-flop, and it was it was disastrous. They could not really do anything. They kind of bottled up that run game. It was a 17-3 to win. For Polly, but Williams had a couple big plays. You know, he knocked down a pass at the line of scrimmage, one of their few passes on third down. He had a really big hit on a kickoff return, just smashed a, a Sarah guy right over the middle. And then his biggest play was getting in on a gang tackle on Mitchell and stripping the ball and causing a big fumble. And that actually led to a touchdown for Polly. So, you know, not a, a big night of tackles. They were running away from him mostly, but. He was able to have impact, the biggest being kind of that that strip tackle that he had on uh, Jason Mitchell. You know, Jason Robinson didn't really notice him a lot. You know, I saw him warming up. He, you know, he's smaller, quicker kind of guy, but didn't really have a big game uh, for this the the passing offense, which I, I actually went into that game. Uh, they have uh, Darius Curry, one of the top 24 quarterbacks in the, the, the West Coast in SoCal, and I was kind of expecting – a lot of a lot of throwing, a lot of a lot of points to be put up on the board for this offense. But Curry just looked a little bit nervous, and I think the timing was off with their their passing game, and they were just trying to run the clock out, control a little bit. So they kind of steered away from passing the ball. So not a lot of action for Jason Robinson. He did get some targets early, but kind of by the middle of that second quarter, they were kind of running more. His most notable, well, not really a play, but right in front of me, they had a third down conversion they were trying to get and he tried to make that sideline catch and it just came off his hands he was very upset with himself it was literally right in front of me and I didn't really get to see much of Dale and Austin because I was so focused in on Dylan Williams that's what happens when you do the ISO film you don't really get to watch anything else so all my night was just looking at number two all night so that was kind of my standouts I did obviously track Roderick Robin Roderick Pleasant on the other side excuse me I'll have that ISO film coming out from his first two games not Quite the night uh, against Polly that he kind of had against uh, Olu, where he had a pick six. They did pass on him a little bit more, and they did have, I believe, two completions uh, against him. He was kind of going against their number one slot receiver, their senior, and they did get two mainly in the second half. I think there was a moment where he kind of lost focus a little bit. It was sort of an easy completion over the middle. But for the most part, he did have a really nice pass breakup down the field. That was kind of a standout moment. Again, they tried to get him on offense little frustration you could see from his face going long for him, but can't even get a pass off uh, with this with this offense, their, their QB situation. So more frustration for Pleasant. And, yeah, it was a big win for Polly. I know that's a rivalry game. They're 2-0. and And they got some dudes over there back on 1600 and Atlantic Avenue. Yeah, I was going to ask you, I mean, the, the clear matchup there that is interesting is Jason Robinson versus Roderick Pleasant, at least – from last year when they played in the playoffs, that was like sort of a one-on-one matchup. Right. Robert was basically like, I'm going to shadow Jason Robinson everywhere. Is Jason Robinson playing more outside now? Is he not so much in the slot for, uh, for Polly? Yeah. That- it seems like he was playing more outside. Um, their senior guy was kind of their mainly interior guy. And I think like, I believe pleasant and Robinson kind of matched up twice, maybe. Um, they were trying to get Jason Robinson going with some like quick passes to start, but I believe the first two just didn't link up with the passing game. But yeah, not a lot of pleasant on Robinson um, on Friday night. 
Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, Dylan Williams, I mean, he's just growing into being that guy. Yeah. Like when we saw him originally, it's like, okay, he's just a young guy. He's like 205. I don't know. I mean, you could see him on film where he was very active and he was very involved, but now you start to put that weight on him and you're still watching him in seven on seven and he hasn't lost any of that quickness. He hasn't lost any of that explosiveness. If not, he's gotten a little faster and a lot of, a little quicker. And we did see him at the USC uh, invite for elite players at one of the camps. It was like sort of the first underclassmen elite camp that they had. And, um, you know, he was doing a lot of drills that he'd never done before. And they were really working with them. Brian Odom, the linebacker coach at USC, was taking them aside. They were having a lot of little conferences, little just, you know, listen, man, this is what you're doing. You're getting a little, you know, over your heels on this and you're, you're pushing too hard here. And you and you could see, you know, he was kind of swimming a little bit with the technique and, and the direction with those drills. But then you watch him at something like the Edison tournament and he was just everywhere. I mean, he was – and, you know, for linebackers, that's a – a difficult position to play seven on seven. You know, those are not, uh, you're going to see a lot of weird routes against a lot of players that you're not normally going to see in 11, 11 football. And he still had a really, really good day. And um, you just kind of see him blossom physically. And again, it's one of those things where he's maintained, you know, all the speed and all his quickness and he's just gotten bigger. So it was a really good uh, read, I think, from USC in terms of offering him early and really going on him early. And they're going to have to continue to recruit him hard because there's going to be a lot of schools that are going to go after him. They're not going to uh, look at him and say, oh, he's locked in with USC. They're going to continue to try to push for him. Yeah, he told me Georgia, Oregon, Washington, UCLA are still – kind of coming after him. So USC's going to have to stay on him. And obviously I think we're going to see his, his stock and, and rankings only rise as he, you know, completes his junior year and finishes up his senior year. He's a national recruit. Yeah. Yep. He's, he's, he's definitely going to be a national recruit. He's, he's going to have a lot of, uh, a lot of looks from out of state and everything. So yeah, USC's got to, you know, not take him for granted and, and keep pushing for him. And we'll see uh, how that shakes out. There was, you know, speaking of national, recruits in uh, national be- television games. I be- mean- before, I just want to say that there was a uh, a little commotion outside of the stadium. There was a gun pull. There was a gun I pulled. said there was a gun pulled. <laughs> a gun pulled. At the, okay. at, at the at the the snack bar, someone pulled a gun on somebody. What? Like in the th- like in the third quarter, I don't know. Cut in line for for nachos, I don't know. I don't know, Gerard. Okay, that's that was, that was a curveball. I, I wasn't expecting uh, that little uh, to interject some real life uh, strife into uh, the podcast. Uh, it was you know, uh, we're 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 at you know we're at Friday night game. How do you know there time. was a? How do you know there was a gun pull? Like what? How? What is that? Just the rumor? Like oh hey, they had to. No. Look, I have I have good sources around the poly football program, especially and at the concession stands. Especially at the concession stands, and you know, not to steer us off, but in the like the third quarter, there was like something going on in the stands. Like there was like a bunch of commotion. I saw some security guards running around. Saw some youths running around, and we found out later that there was a gun pull and a helicopter showed up. And the cops showed up, and the ambulance showed up. They show they sh- they closed down one of the entrances out of there. And usually, when I leave vets, it's pretty much a ghost town. I could just go out of there. I had to wait in the parking lot, which felt like half an hour, trying to get out because they only were, were letting us go one way. There was the ambulance and the police officers blocking off 
the street outside. It was just freaking chaos trying yeah. to get out of there. That sucks. And yeah, so it was a, uh, it was a, uh, it was quite a, quite a ending uh, to the night. But yeah, apparently that happened, and you know, just kind of keep it moving. But I thought it was, so, you know, something that happened at a Friday night. I just wanted to. Worth know, reporting. Man worth reporting. I'm a reporter. I take notes. You know, this is a recruiting <laughs> podcast. Is that the is that the is that the 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 craziest thing that's happened uh, at a football game for you? Is somebody pulled a gun and they had to shut things down? I mean, what what's the what's the 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 weirdest uh, a Friday most night life threatening situation you've been in at a high school football game? Definitely, uh, definitely. I think that, but like, I didn't even like obviously see anything. No one like ran or, or i didn't like hear anyone screaming or anything obviously no gunshots nothing like that um but i would say that is like obviously that's something that happened outside of my realm of my point of view because i didn't see anything i think that would be up there in terms of like an actual friday night football game i think the craziest thing i've ever seen in terms of like football recruiting is a recruit fighting a coach on the sideline at a seven on seven thing, but that's seven on seven. That's a whole different. Seven on seven. That's a whole different thing. It's a whole different. That's a whole in terms of the wacky, weird stuff that happens at seven on seven. Yeah, seven on is uh, a whole different is, animal. Is a little uh, off the hook when it comes to because uh, it's just. I mean, there's there's not. It's not as organized. You know, you don't have like security and everything. A lot of times, it's just parents and it's coaches and people get you know all emotional about you know the referee situation yeah that we've seen plenty of uh issues i, I would say for me is definitely uh crenshaw drive-by shootings um that's mm. probably the the craziest thing and just like you everything gets shut down and crenshaw is like neighborhoods so it's, there's not like a lot of ways to get out of that parking lot or to get off that that street there that's by the student parking lot so you just end up Man, you got to sit there for a long time, man. It sucks. It's you're like, dude, I'm just posting. I'm mean, usually, you don't, you, I mean, both times we got locked into the field, you know, they kind of like the, the students were already leaving. So it was like, you know, halfway through. And then they basically lock it up once something happens and they don't want a bunch of people coming back to the field. So the best thing to do is always, if there's something like that happens, is to actually stay on the field. Because that's usually where you're probably going to be the safest. You don't want to be out there running around the parking lots um, with everybody who's running every which way because they don't know what's happening and it just becomes uh, chaos. But, um, yeah. Right. Everyone was just hanging out in the parking lots because it was like, we're not just going to wait in this line to try to get out. So it was just like hanging out. So yeah, that's, that's, that's where things sometimes go go awry is is that you know you get a mix of personalities and people that don't necessarily need to be shoulder to shoulder um but anyways we digress uh from uh eyewitness news to uh high school football again um los al versus american heritage chris um, espn baby espn uh i had a great little uh you know little segue from uh you know national i'm sorry I, uh, <laughs> into a national high school football game uh, let's pretend that uh, we can just go right back into that. And uh, yeah. so Malachi Nelson um, going into American Heritage, uh, playing at uh, I think they played at St. Thomas Aquinas out there in Fort Lauderdale. This was a this was a big ask for Los Alamitos. A lot of right. people right. do not follow high school football. They just turn on ESPN. That's that's what ESPN's for. It's for people that don't follow high school football. It's for people that don't really follow recruiting. They just want to get their you know their little little, little fifteen minutes of what's going on. And um, Bishop they, Sycamore fans. Yeah, they saw they saw Los Al, you know, get get handled by American Heritage. But that 
is kind of what we expected. And I think most people who follow high school football expected. Los Al is trying to become one of those sort of national programs. They're trying to get back to where they were in the 1990s. You know, Los Al has kind of been dormant for a long time. And I think, you know, Narbonne and Hawkins and all these different schools that have popped up over the years, you know, they've come and gone. And Los Al has been now the school that's trying to get some guys from Poly. They're trying to get guys from Sarah, you know, a lot of those Carson Colt kids that play uh, in the Pop Warner system. Um, some of the OC Buckeye guys, they're trying to get some of those kids. And so they've got good talent, but it's not a national program yet. They're not modern day. They're not De La Salle. They're not even Long Beach Poly or one of these schools that have sort of gone through the wars of Southern section and then gone through the wars of the California bowl and then decided, Hey, we're going to schedule somebody from Arizona. Hey, we're going to schedule somebody from Nevada and then take it on those schools and then sort of slowly gone out and, you know, started to pick up some different um, schools on their schedule that are like national football programs from Ohio or Florida or anything. So this was Los Al's first real big national game that they've ever had. And uh, you can kind of, you know, break it down first, Chris. How, how did you, how do you think they played? What happened in that game? Yeah, they, they just didn't look, they have guys. We know that, you know, they have uh, Los Al, they have obviously Malachi Nelson, Kyle Lemon, we're big on Ethan O'Connor. They've got some, they got some weapons over there, but they just don't have kind of that depth and just the overall horses to kind of hang with these sort of obviously a Florida team, you know, obviously super competitive out there, and they just didn't have the horses to kind of have, especially on defense. I think the bigger issue was kind of their defense, and I've watched them on seven on seven, and obviously I know seven on seven is a different thing, but they just don't really have the guys that are out there stopping, you know, opposing offenses. And that was kind of my big question is like, are they going to be able to slow down American heritage, Brandon Innes? They got guys over there. And obviously they were, they were, they went down big, not, not big, but they went down early and then they had to kind of play catch up and you could see this was getting away from them there. They weren't kind of clicking on offense. Uh, there were some issues there outside of Makai Lemon who obviously we're going to get into. But outside of that, they just couldn't really get things going. They couldn't stop them, and then they couldn't really keep pace on offense. And that was just spelled disaster for them, especially being on the road. You know, you're going to the East Coast. You have that time difference. You're playing in that brutal Florida heat. I think there's just a lot of factors, and they didn't just have the depth. They were getting tired. They have a lot of guys that go both ways. So that was obviously draining. And I think it was just a really bad matchup for them to kind of go out there. But – Obviously, I know a lot of people are looking at it like, oh, should we be worried about Malachi Nelson? You know, he didn't step up on a big national game against a big national team on a big stage like ESPN. You know, there was a lot of things going on. It wasn't – can't put it all on him. Did what they could. Uh, Makai Lemon, you know, put on an incredible effort despite, you know, it being a pretty clear it was going to be a losing effort kind of early on, especially as we went into halftime. Uh, with that game, but there are a lot of issues and it wasn't just Malachi Nelson. Uh, you know, obviously people want to look five-star top quarterback, whatever, but it just, it, it just wasn't low South's day. And we knew it wasn't going to be low South's day. They just had a lot of things working against them going out there to Florida. It was a big ask, you know, yeah. and that's uh, American heritage, I believe beat IMG a couple years ago. So they're like one of the top teams in Florida, if not the top team in Florida, I'm not, 100% sure what the food chain looks like right now 
uh, in Florida, but I mean they're they're right up there. So didn't it's a they, program. Didn't they just beat IMG, or was that their opener? I do uh, this year. I don't know if they just beat IMG. I someone just know. someone just beat IMG. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I I haven't kept up with uh, the the ongoings of Florida high school football, but um, I will say that loud. their heritage. They be loud in Georgia. Yeah, they're they're definitely uh, one of the top teams in the state. And they have been for many years. Like that's <laughs> my point is they kind of been there. You know, St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, American Heritage is one of the newer teams that has really sort of risen in high school football. It used to be Clade Central. Um, used to have uh, even going back like Pensacola, Rutherford. There's a lot of schools um, that have been really good, but IMG has affected that certainly with recruiting a lot, just Florida kids. And, you know, they recruit national, but they take a lot of kids from, from Florida. Um, you know, Tampa schools obviously have not been as good uh, lately because you've got IMG sitting there in Bradenton. Um, but anyways, nonetheless, yeah, this, this was, this was a, a, you know, not to make excuses, but this was a tough ask for Los Al. Um, you know, system-wise, logistic-wise, there's so much that goes in to going cross-country to go play one of these teams. It's just not something that you just do. And, uh, I mean, certainly they've got uh, a great lineup and they've got some great talent, but it definitely takes a bit of a foundation, you know, to kind of get used to playing these type of games. And and over the years, you kind of sort of build your program and you look at the, the schedule and you look at what you have coming up and everybody sort of tries to position themselves where, you know, they're at a point where it's like, okay, we could take one of these games and we're not going to go cross country to embarrass ourselves. There's a lot of teams that Los Al could have played nationally that they would have had a, a better chance right. against. Um, that was one of the hardest games you could probably pick to go cross country and play that team, you know, for Bosco, for modern day, they're on a, a, such another level at this point when it comes to high school football They've got so many people that are involved. Again, it you know it's kind of like what we talk about with college football. There, there's the, the the starters and there's the the coaching staff that you see on the sidelines on Saturdays. But then there's so much more infrastructure that goes into all this, and that's what high school football is becoming when you go across country to try to take these games. You know, there's a lot more stuff that goes into it, and certainly the parochial schools have an advantage in that standpoint, just in terms of you know, how many coaches they have and how many, you know, support staff they have and all these people that organize these things, let alone just the fact that, you know, they're able to recruit a lot more and they're able to to fill spots. And you've seen what St. John Bosco has done, bringing in all that different types of players uh, this offseason. And, you know, Modern Day has done that in years past where they're able to plug in some guys and, and really sort of get themselves ready uh, for these type of few matchups. So, yeah, um, it was well, props to them for going out there, though. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's I mean, you know, they went out there. They took a swing. They didn't embarrass themselves. In my opinion, they played pretty good. They played against a really good team. And um, now they've got some wars that they're going to have to try to win locally. I think they played Basha from Arizona yeah. um, this weekend. They actually play Saturday. Uh, so, they're you know, those kids are not going to be able to go up to SC uh, probably because they're going to have that game that they're getting ready for. Uh, but that will be an interesting matchup. I'm not really familiar with Basha and how good they are from Arizona. Um, but uh, Los Al is going to have some teams locally that they're going to have their hands full with. I think they play Santa Margarita at some point later in this year. And that's a pretty good football team. They don't have the horses that an American Heritage have. Uh, but that's a team that's going to be good on the lines. They've got a good quarterback. They're just going to be a solid, well-coached team. And you can't play sloppy football against those teams. You know, that's the one thing where Ranch Cucamonga, to go back to them, they've got to get back to playing a little better fundamentally. They have a lot of good skilled players. 
They play well on the offensive line. Apple Valley was pretty good up front, actually, but they just played sloppy. They should have blown out Servite by 40 points, and they should have beat Apple Valley by at least two touchdowns, but they didn't because they've had so many penalties and they had some bad turnovers. So we see that a lot in high school football where you know sometimes the most talented teams – play undisciplined because they just have so much talent and it's it's really easy for them to overcome that against a lot of teams. Long Beach Poly was known for that for years and years and years. They would have way more talent than everybody. They could they could field two football teams against some of these other teams that they're playing against. But they would play so undisciplined that you know the margin of error it all of a sudden it, it, it closes real quick on you when you go play a really well coach football team like a Dale Sal or a modern day. It's like, man, we have way more talent than these guys, but they're just they're just executing so much better than us. Right. And quick correction, it was uh, Miami Central that beat IMG uh, last week. Uh, that's true. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And Miami Central uh, played, I think, Bosco last year or the year before, and, and, and Bosco beat them pretty good, I think. Something like that. Shout out to former Miami Central head coach Roland Smith, who I remember talking to my first year out in California. I was doing a story about the potential contenders for the mythical high school national championship uh it was about bosco obviously that 2013 season so i got to call up some of the some of the coaches from around the country i talked to roland smith i talked to the head coach at allen uh, high school and uh katie texas and then obviously jason negro at st john bosco but shout out to roland smith who was very nice to me and actually got picked up and he's now at uh miami he's on mario Cristobal's staff scooped nice. him up scooped nice. him up that's, smart uh, smart play smart play. i remember I did for when I was in college, I wrote a paper and I talked to like Bob Lettishore for like a little bit, but then I got Terry Edison on the line, who was a defensive coordinator for De La Salle for all those years. And man, we talked for like an hour just about De La Salle. And this was before they ever really went out of state and played anybody. But this was when they had those, I mean, those just epic battles with modern day. This was the first time that they'd really played out of the Bay Area. They had the streak. 130 something games at that point and uh and we just talked about you know how this thing of high school football was was evolving so quickly and uh them going down uh, playing at the big a uh against matt leinert and you know they started you know having some of these big time players which they didn't originally have a lot of big time players at dale sal it was a team that literally had 40 guys and they'd have like one or two division one guys and then they started to get more popular with the streak, and then they're starting to pluck guys out of Oakland and Antioch, and they have DJ Williams, Kevin Simon, Matt Gutierrez, those types of players. Um, you know, Maurice Drew was another guy that was a big time player for them. Uh, but uh, it was just really interesting to see. That it was it was one of those things. I remember the first time I saw De La Salle was against Modern Day, the first time they played, and Modern Day comes out with their usual, you know, 115 football players, and De La Salle had 43 guys. And they all play both ways, and you're going, dude, these guys can't – they can't hang with modern day. Are you kidding me? And they beat modern day, and it was just like, man. And, and that, playing a veer option offense, it was all about execution. It was just about those guys being so plugged in, tough, just, man, it, it was uh, it was a system. It was something that uh, you really – it changed my view a bit on football just to watch De La Salle do that, you know, at that level against Matt Grudegood and some of these guys that – you know, modern day have they were they were they were modern day back then. You know, modern day sort of they were they were kings of Southern California football, and then they kind of during the Mont Barkley era actually they kind of didn't have quite the talent. Now they're right back up to where they were, but you know, in those days where they played De La Salle early on, 
they were big time. And you just, man, on paper, there was no way. And then De La Salle turned around and played Long Beach Poly when Long Beach Poly had the, the big four, big five, you know, with Manny Wright and uh, Chris Lewis and Herschel Dennis, uh, Darnell Bing. Uh, and, and again, I mean, you just look at those guys on the sideline pregame, you're going, dude, how do you, how do these guys even compete at this point? These guys, this looks like a, a good college football team, Long Beach Poly against, you know, 40 guys. And they got a couple guys here and there. And you're like, yeah, you know, but their offensive line is full of, you know, five, 11, six foot, lineman <laughs> and you're like how in the world can you block manny right he's six six you know 310 and he's going to usc and he's like a five-star level guy they they just did it it just was a matter of this knowing the system execution just great coaching man so uh yeah uh still still definitely something that uh i think impacts my view on on football in general you know at that high school level watching those guys that was that was beautiful Drew. that was beautiful that's all I just wanted to say. Okay. And you need, before you need, to, you need to, yeah, you need a, a, yeah, a soundboard, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like a little, little something there that would. Yeah, I got, I got, I got to update the soundboard, get some more stuff in. But you got to expand, man. You can't. Expand. I know, I know, I know. It just there's just tons takes of time. things that we can know, put in I know, here. I know. Now, before we get into the rest of our games, we do. This is the Makai Lemon section, Gerard, and I got some questions about Makai Lemons. We're just going to stuff them all here. People want to know our reaction to his performance. 17 catches, 201 yards, three scores. What should have been over 300 yards of total offense and five touchdowns. He had a 65, I believe it was a 65-yard screen touchdown that came back on a penalty. Then he had a 97-yard kickoff return, uh, also called back on a penalty. So, what was a massive day on a massive stage was actually quite bigger uh, when you take out a couple of flags. And I think, you know, I think I don't want to say forgotten in this class because, you know, obviously you have Zachariah Branch, you have Malachi Nelson. People are really excited about Tackett Curtis and Makai Lemon. You know, he's been touted as like five star range because he's in the top 32, which is the the cutoff for being a five star, but he's but he hasn't been he's dropped from five star composite, and I think his shine got a little dull this off season because he didn't do a lot of events. You know, there's some events he sat out at. You know, he he is he gets he's has been banged up. You know, they they ride him so hard at Los Al. He plays both ways and he plays hard both ways. And I'm always kind of worried like keep some of those miles off him, but he is an athlete. People think he could be a cornerback at the next level, plays both ways hard, like I said, but, you know, didn't play every event that we saw him in, you know, like we saw him at the, the elite 11 and he only did like a couple of snaps and he was done, uh, caught a couple passes for Nelson. That was it. And he did play on some of those, uh, South Florida express teams and he kind of got lost there. You know, Nelson was kind of relying on, you know, Brandon Innes kind of looking to Hakeem Williams and Mikhail Lemon was out there. It's kind of like the fourth option at times. Uh, for Nelson, but he put to to rest a lot of doubt about him on that stage, just kind of what kind of dog he is. And I would say he is a dog because I've seen him. The first time I saw him was at SoFi Stadium in a uh, seven on seven. And again, seven on seven, very different beast. But he was just like unstoppable at that event. And I've seen him play against St. John Bosco and he would give everything out there. And, you know, he is a competitor when that helmet comes on, when those pads are on, and that game clock starts. That's where he kind of 
does his best work. It's Friday nights in a real game. That's where that kind of takes his game to the next level. And I think he would certify himself as a five-star with a performance like this. I know Andrew Ivins talked about it on their the Preps the Pros podcast. You know, he's out there, one of the, the national guys out in Florida, and he kind of said, yeah, Mikhail Lemon kind of certified himself in my eyes. You know, he wasn't super high on him when they had the, their ranking discussions, but Mikhail Lemon proved a lot out there, and he says kind of certified dude. And I think we've always known that Mikhail Lemon is capable of this kind of performance, but it was nice to see him, you know, do it. Excuse me, out there on ESPN, had a, some spectacular catches that kind of back shoulder, spinning, body control, put that on a tape, one-handed grab, which I think was a touchdown, but that's just me. But just an incredible performance by Makai Lemon, and I think, you know, kind of re-energized people like, oh, yeah, this guy's a dude as well. I think, for me, it spiked the ball on him playing wide receiver in college as opposed to playing defensive back. And uh, let me just make it clear because it came up on the pair style. Gerard thinks he should be a cornerback. Breaking, breaking news for you. To a wide receiver. I've never really said either or, to be honest with you. I, I sort of deferred to people that had seen more of him in person than I have that he's a better cornerback than he is a wide receiver. But I think that performance really just solidifies what he's going to do on the offensive side of the ball. And yes, he's a dog and he's aggressive and he's physical. And I think that's where people see where he could be a really great defender. And certainly when you're talking about that size, you know, he's six foot, he's five eleven. Um, you, you get a little more out of that being a, a cornerback than maybe a wide receiver, but it's not like there aren't plenty of wide receivers in the NFL that are that size as well. And so we've always compared him to being a bit more athletic version of Amon Ross St. Brown mm-hmm. when he committed that was the comparison that we made it's like, he reminds me a lot of Amon Ross St. Brown he's not as polished as Amon Ross St. Brown I mean I don't know if anybody could be that polished I mean he literally worked out with a former Mr. Uh, Universe as his dad and and was very very polished and very trained up and he ran exceptional routes and he had exceptional hands and he worked at it um, but Makai Lemon, I think, can get there, but he has a little more upside in terms of his athleticism. Uh, he's a little bigger, and I think he's a little faster, and certainly we saw some of that uh, in that game against American Heritage. So, you know, hopefully we see his five-star re- restored. Um, that's not totally just up to 24-7 sports when you're talking about a composite ranking, but I think he should be the number one athlete nationally. And I think he really, because he does still play really well on both sides of the ball, um, you're going to eventually determine, you know, is he going to be an offensive player? Or is he going to be a defensive player? Uh, I think, you know, he ends up being offense, but I think he's still considered an athlete and should be a five-star athlete. Um, you know, I, I don't know what Nick Harper has been able to do this season. Uh, I got to check in on him and kind of see what kind of year he's had for a few games. But I do think there are more questions about Nick Harper, not only in terms of position, but just in terms of production at the high school football level. Um, certainly we know he's a tremendous athlete and he has so much potential, but you do have to weigh production somewhat in this, you know, is he a good football player at the end of the day? And we know Makai Lemon is a good football player. And especially when you put the pads on and that's when it matters the most, you know, the, the t-shirt all Americans, it's great and all. And, and people really do get wound up in it because it's so much of the year, 
I mean, it's, it's, I mean, literally now we're talking about there's more months that we spend covering seven on seven than we do real football. Um, so people do put, I think, a little bit too much emphasis on it. But nevertheless, I think anybody who really knows, and certainly these college football coaches, they know that they're going to get hired and fired based on what a player is going to be able to do with football pads on because that's uh, when it matters the most. I just want to say certified dog. And I need a certified dog uh, soundbite for my board. So I'm going to work on getting that. We've got a few more games to kind of get through uh, really quickly here. Lawndale at Mission Hills, obviously Orlando Greenlow. The other big receiver that we mentioned, we actually had a question uh, from Tariq that I just wanted to bump up uh, here to this portion since we were going to talk about uh, Greenlow and Lawndale. Uh, is USC still recruiting Orlando Greenlow, even with the commitment of Jacoby Lane? Would they take both players if given the opportunity? On film, Orlando is clearly the better player between the two in terms of route running, explosion, blocking, and overall physicality. What do you think? Interesting take. I think uh, Greenlow is actually a bit more physically raw uh we actually saw him um jared uh, perez actually shout out to jared jared our man on the street um jared uh checked out Greenlow uh, playing and um it was a, a tough game for them and i think you know from the standpoint of getting the ball to him uh he's not a guy that gets a lot of targets on offense and he was actually playing more of a tight end position for Lawndale that he was just straight up receiver and he also plays kind of an outside linebacker position and that's probably where he made more of an impact in the game it's interesting because USC did offer a scholarship to Malachi Coleman from Lincoln Nebraska and he is scheduled to officially visit USC September 17th we've tried to follow up we need to get some type of clarification as to whether he's still going to officially visit USC um the question as to whether if USC is still recruiting Greenlow and that would go towards, you know, are they still recruiting Coleman? I think that they should. Uh, as I said before, I think Jacoby Lane is, is, is very happy with this decision right now. Um, but I think that's the type of recruitment that you can't necessarily just, uh, you know, put it in your back pocket and, and not be aware that there could be some movement or some wavering down the line. There's potential there. And so I think, um, you know, USC's kind of has to keep the door open for potentially still recruiting some of these other players. And I think right now Greenlow is, is a good athlete. He's a different type of player, I think, to some extent than, uh, than Jacoby Lane. Um, we do want to see a little bit more of him, hopefully get some film of him um, maybe this weekend or the next uh, to kind of see him as a, a football player and, and just kind of see him in a, in, a, in, a, in a different light than the basketball player that we kind of know from him athletically. So um, is he clearly the better player? Uh, I don't necessarily know that. Um, I have not seen him in person. Uh, Chris is going to be able to uh, make a, a jaunt down to San Diego and be able to watch Kobe Lane this weekend. So he'll be able to get to see him a little more in pads and maybe have a, a better assessment of that. Um, but I think they're t technically a little bit different players, especially with Greenlow playing defense and being a little more of an outside linebacker, I think is very intriguing. Uh, we'll have to see, you know, from that standpoint, it's like with Malachi Coleman. Is he a true wide receiver or is he a guy that's actually potentially going to play defense? Because we know Roy Manning is talking a lot with Malachi Coleman. So he may not even be a guy that, you know, for USC on the board really ends up being a wide receiver. You know, you just kind of have to kind of, 
see how that shakes out and whether he still makes that official visit. So I think that group of guys that you have there that USC has recruited, I think that kind of still exists. And that's my own personal opinion. I'm not trying to speak for USC or the coaching staff. I think it's just my own personal opinion seeing the behind the scenes of Jacoby Lane and, and that commitment. There you go. And shout out to to Jared because you've been warned high school football in Southern California because he finally got a CF press credential. So now he's not going to be watching from the stands. We're going to unleash so him now on the field. He's, yes, now he's on the loose with authority. So watch <laughs> on out. On the loose. So you'll catch him at a game near you. Uh, shout out to Jared. Uh, another game up, up there. Uh, is Alameda the Valley? That's not the Valley, right? Alameda is kind of, yeah, yeah. Mission Hills, okay. that's, that's kind of the Valley, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, uh, San Diego Lincoln came all the way out to Alamany. Uh, David Peavy, obviously the the linebacker, possibly edge rusher prospect that USC has been recruiting for uh, the 2023 cycle. Uh, our, one of our other interns, Austin Green, went up there to catch him. Lincoln, obviously, not obviously, they did not come away with the win. They, they squandered a, I guess it's not a huge lead, but a seven-point uh, lead and a 14-7 to loss to Alamany. David Peavy was all over the field, making plays in the backfield. He actually scored the touchdown catch to put them up. He also had a scoop and score, wiped out the board due to penalty. So Peavy, very active in that loss. Kind of the update there is he does have a top five, but this sounds like it is strictly a Washington, USC, and Oregon, and probably more USC and Oregon battle. And the, you know, kind of the quote he had is, USC, Oregon, and Washington are, you know, are making it hard for me to choose. So it sounds like he's still kind of weighing his options. They're throwing a lot at him per him. So the this one's coming. This one's an interesting one, especially for a a obviously a defensive staff over that Oregon and USC trying to fortify more front prospects to go with Braylon Shelby and obviously the jewel of that class, that defensive class so far being Tackett Curtis. David Peavy is a guy. You know, that we thought maybe was a USC lean early at some point. I think post-visit, yeah, mm-hmm. because he took that official visit to USC. And remember, he took a midweek unofficial visit to Oregon. And so he has yet to officially visit Oregon. He's still going to officially visit Oregon, and he has a date set for Washington as well. So that kind of tells you a little bit you know, with uh, not necessarily having any plans of getting back on USC's campus uh, for the opener or for any games, but he has his two scheduled official visits to Oregon and Washington. So I kind of think Oregon and Washington are probably maybe the favorites right now with Oregon, I think, being uh, the lead school for him. Um, You know, Austin Green went up and, and chatted with him and certainly came away with the impression with all the Oregon paraphernalia that he was wearing uh, during the interview that uh, Oregon is kind of the lead school for David Peavy. And so that's something that we've, we've, we've kind of felt here for the past uh, few weeks, maybe month plus, um, that Oregon was the lead school for him. But he's still kind of dragging his feet on making a commitment, which is interesting. You know, he's got his two former teammates up there, uh, Jaleel Florence and Jaleel Tucker, and there's definitely been a big push for Oregon. Uh, he spoke very highly of Dan Lanning and coming from the SEC and Dan Lanning really kind of being, um, you know, his position coach. You know, Dan Lanning's a linebacker coach, outside linebacker coach. So there's there's certainly something to be said for that when the head coach is coaching your position. Um, Tosh Lapoy is also a uh, primary recruiter for him. 
And so, you know, Oregon really been pushing hard for him. But for whatever reason, just can't seem to get him locked in yet, which has got to be a little worrisome from them. Because, you know, you see that even when USC's got somebody that, uh, you know, it seems like USC's the lead school, lead school, lead school, and then they just don't commit. You kind of wonder what's what's the problem, what's the holdup. So um, didn't really reveal that too much in the interview. He's got the top five, which is really more of a top three. Um, is USC going to be able to make any moves here? You've got to get him back on campus. And at this point, he doesn't have any plans to get back on campus. So to me, it sounds like USC is definitely fading his recruitment. There you go. And the final game that was on our on our radar, Modern Day at Bishop Gorman, obviously a uh, pipeline school for USC in Modern Day and Bishop Gorman, which is sort of a half pipeline school, you know, a school that they want to get their foot in there. Obviously, Zachariah Branch, number one rated wide receiver in the class, is committed to USC. This was a big one, a national one. And Modern Day came back and pulled this one out. They were down early, stormed back the poise, you know, of uh, Elijah Brown, quarterback, recent USC offer, 2024 class. They got him back in it. They left Las Vegas with a win. Zachariah Branch had a really nice touchdown in this game, but... The Monarchs were too much for them out in that Vegas heat. We didn't get to really watch this game. I didn't get to really watch this game. This one was one you had, it was going on as my game was going on. But obviously, you know, you heard buzz about Nasir White, the 2025 linebacker who recently got minted as a uh, four-star prospect in our recent top top 100 for the 2025 class. He made a lot of plays. Jordan Davidson is also a guy who got ranked in that 2025 class and is going to be a national recruit right out there. And obviously, the big modern-day linemen, Brandon Baker and DeAndre Carter, probably two of USC's premier uh, prospect uh, targets in the 2024 cycle. Those are guys that they absolutely need to get, especially Baker, who you know I would maybe consider a slight Oregon lean thanks to his brother's uh, connections there. And that just seems to kind of be the vibe I get, even though USC is pushing hard and he does seem to like USC. Oregon seems to be kind of have that slight advantage as of right now, but USC is going to get some games in this season and they're going to be able to change his mind with that, especially when they get him on campus. But Monarchs kind of went down there, pulled out a, a big win over the, uh, the Gales out in Vegas. Yeah. A game went, exactly like we thought it would go it would be a close game but modern day's run game and that offensive line would eventually uh overcome because of just the the physicality and and just wearing down uh bishop gorman i think uh jordan davidson had a hell of a game nasir wyatt is a stud uh, he's probably the best young player on that modern day defense, which has a bunch of young players. I mean, their whole secondary is all 2025, 2024 guys. So modern day is really a, a team that's built for the future. Um, you know, we looked at, you know, down the road, then playing against Bosco. Bosco's kind of, this is their year. Uh, really technically next year is modern day's year, but modern day's got a real solid team, man. This is, mm-hmm. it's tough. They're, if they don't make mistakes and they're a team that really doesn't give themselves uh, an opportunity to make a lot of mistakes. You know, Elijah Brown's a very composed, um, he's, he's a bit more, as I said last week, a a manager um, as a QB. He's not the big arm sort of flashy guy 
that's chucking it downfield or scrambling around and doing all these crazy uh, Randall Cunningham type plays. He's a guy that's going to just really kind of go with the flow, play within the offense. And within this offense, you don't have a ton of guys that are proven skill players on the outside, but you do have good running backs and you do have a really, really good offensive line. So they're just going to sort of move on you and lean on you. And if you can't, you know, just try to flip the field on them or do something that gets you a big lead, uh, it's going to be hard. And 14 nothing, Bishop Gorman was up. So it looked like, okay, Bishop Gorman's going to be able to, to be explosive and, um, you know, they're going to be able to do enough to just kind of slow modern day down to where modern day is not going to be able to use the fourth quarter to lean on them. But the defense played really well and were able to kind of sh- slow down Bishop Gorman, not allow a lot of big plays from Bishop Gorman. And that offense just they were coming. They were coming the whole game. You knew there was going to be eventually they were going to come. And that's what they did. And that's going to be the way that it's going to be this season. Uh, they got to play Corona Centennial on the road. Uh, this weekend, it's another very sort of explosive team that is going to try to spread the field on them and, and kind of play that up-tempo type of game. But, um, yeah, modern days definitely uh, – they're just a bully this year. You know, they're just big, they're strong, they're physical, and they're not going to give you a lot of opportunities um, to, to have success because of turnovers or, or penalties or anything that's, uh, you know, going to be shooting themselves in the foot. So, yeah, you've got the two – Big offensive lineman there in that 2024 class, like you said. You know, Brandon Baker, the 6'5", 285-pound offensive tackle, uh, playing a lot of right tackle right now. Um, and then you've got DeAndre Carter, who um, really looks like an interior guy in college, 6'4", 340 pounds. And those have to be two of the top prospects that USC has on their board. Modern day has, you know, plenty of even younger 2025, 20, 20, 26 guys. They're on the roster that USC is going to want to be able to recruit down the line. And that's going to be the future. If USC is successful on the field here in the next few years, that's going to be a big part of their success is, is recruiting modern day um, and recruiting, you know, St. John Bosco as well along the offensive line and defensive lines. And so, um, yeah, this game was, was very close and it was hard fought and it was one, you know, up front by modern day, which uh, we kind of saw coming. And I apologize if I said the last game on our 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 slate to talk about in modern day Bishop Gorman because we did actually have one game, the most lopsided game of them all. That would be another Trinity League team, St. John Bosco, going all the way out to Allen, Texas, and beating the brakes off off the Eagles. I believe they are the Eagles, and that what it's the nicest high school football stadium you'll ever see, whooping them fifty-two to fourteen. And it was just a beatdown from the get-go. I believe DeAndre Moore kind of opened that game up with a big touchdown grab. And Allen just had no uh, answer for Shane John Bosco, who were just bigger, more athletic, more talented, just deeper. And Allen has been a powerhouse in Texas high school football, but this is sort of a, I don't want to say down year, but they're not Allen that was going to state championships even just like five or six years ago. They're kind of going through a a down point in terms of their talent pool. They have talent, but not as much as what St. John Bosco and those Braves were flexing on the other side of that uh, that sideline. And they just ran them out of town. They just had no answer. And one of the big guys in that win was obviously Mateo Hurricane. Angulale. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. 
uh, was just all over the field, uh, get in the backfield. I believe he had a touchdown, I believe. Yep. He had um, one of his sort of post-up uh, uh, kind of comeback fade yep. in the corner of the end zone and um, just uh, looked like he was, you know, playing against little kids. Little, little Allen children. And, yeah, they just went out there, stomped Allen, and made a statement for California football. And it was a fun one to see when you saw some of the highlights uh, for them repping California. But – the focus mainly of this is sort of Mateo, who will be visiting Ohio State this weekend. And we've reported and talked about previously on this podcast how the Buckeyes had been trending for Mateo and USC, you know, kind of slipping here. And this is another, I guess, data point for your your reporting, Gerard, a couple podcasts ago that the Buckeyes were – Taking, they were surging for the five-star defensive lineman and maybe USC's top guy still on the board right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, we always talk about action speaking louder than words and certainly taking cross-country unofficial visit to Ohio State opening weekend as opposed to just, you know, hanging out at home and going up to see USC is definitely a bit of a statement. And so, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, looking at this, if we're just looking to connect dots with how USC has recruited and expanded their board, you know, at that strong side defensive end position, this is definitely indication that uh, they feel like probably Angulale is a guy that they're slipping for uh, a bit. And so um, I think it's, um, you know, is what it is. Doesn't mean that USC is completely out of it, but it does mean that USC has got to, have some options, you know, they've got to have some plan B's at that position. And we know that, you know, they've already offered uh, quite a few players um, just, you know, recently at that position, Elijah Hughes uh, from Arlington, Virginia, 6'3", 265. Very similar in terms of his, um, I guess, his body type. I I think Ungalale is a little more of a skill player uh, from that standpoint. I mean, obviously he's playing like tight end hybrid wide receiver, St. John Bosco, Elijah Hughes isn't doing that. Elijah Hughes is a defensive lineman, but nevertheless, um, still a guy that uh, is is at that position in terms of body type, kind of the same similar player. You play him at the same position. Um, they've offered, uh, you know, uh, a couple different players at that position. I'm kind of blanking um, off the top of my Caleb head. Caleb Bryant. Caleb Elijah, Bryant. Yeah, Elijah Hughes. Sam Green. Sam Green. That's, that's who would be. So Caleb Bryant, we know that was committed to Utah out of uh, Vicksburg, Mississippi. Um, another 6'3", 250 guy. So so he's on the board. Obviously, there's some people that feel like, uh, you know, he may be leaning towards Oregon. Um, and then they uh, offer Elijah Hughes a scholarship. Um, but, uh, yeah, that it's definitely a position where I think USC's trying to expand their board a bit. And, um, you know, is, is are they going to find a guy that can replace you know, Ungalale in terms of star power, you know, none of, neither of those guys is even four stars, let alone five stars. So, no, no. Um, unless they get on a guy like Keon Keeley, uh, the 6'6", 240-pound edge rusher from Berkeley Prep out there in Tampa, Florida, who decommitted from Notre Dame just recently, uh, mentioned in the war room a while back that maybe he could officially visit USC. You know, he's kind of looking at some schools that he could officially visit this fall. 
USC's kind of on the outside looking in on his recruitment. It's really Alabama out in the lead. Then Ohio State's kind of in there. Florida's trying to get involved. USC's sort of, you know, like probably fourth or fifth in that conversation right now. But they could potentially be able to get their foot in the door. And, man, you have a good season or what have you. You know, maybe you're able um, to make a play there. The last player they got from Berkeley Prep was Nelson Aguilar. Uh, many moons ago, and uh, that was back when you had Monty Kiffin and Lane Kiffin on the staff. And Monty Kiffin had obviously a lot of um, a lot of links and connections to Tampa, so you don't really have the same staff. So I don't know that USC has those type of connections to that area. I think Nelson Aguilar was committed and ready to go to USC for a long time. Um, this is a different story, and right now, like I said, Alabama is clearly the team to beat for him. So there might be some other players out there that, you know, are committed to other schools that USC is also recruiting and, and trying to get involved with. And we're not going to hear as much about that because quite a few of those players, like I said, are committed. And that kind of stuff is one of those things where guys just happen to pop up on campus all of a sudden. It's like, oh, well, I guess he does have interest in USC still despite being committed to some other schools. So we're going to see how that all shakes out. But um, certainly – it's a further development uh, with Ungalale that gives you the sense that uh, USC's definitely uh, got some work to do to be able to land him. And I think that's a good stopping point to take our break for this podcast. But before we go into that break, Gerard, can I read you uh, Arch Manning's stats from their uh, two-quarter preseason game? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I, did you see them? I just want to throw them out there. For you I haven't seen them. Uh, you know, I know that the fighting flat earthers are a, <laughs> a, a power to be reckoned with down there in Louisiana football. I know they got a game with Manny, Louisiana, coming up at some point, And we're going to see our boy Tackett Curtis go head to head. But why don't you go ahead and get that stat line and then uh, we'll, we'll see what the reaction is from that. Uh, six of 12 passing for 81 yards and a pick and a touchdown. Run. Yeah, you may need that soundboard. <laughs> uh, that's two in two games. What What do you want? No, that that's two quarters. That's two quarters. That's two quarters. Yeah, it was like a it was like a jamboree preseason thing. Oh, okay. So they haven't played their first game yet. No, no, no. This is just a preseason. Eh, don't mean nothing. Eh, don't no, mean no, nothing. Not, that doesn't mean anything. Jamboree, okay. whatever. Threw a couple passes. I mean, it's it it's clearly not impressive, but that's practice and it's a scrimmage and. Yeah, okay. I thought that was – I thought you said – No, no, no. I said preseason. I said preseason. Okay. Well, pre – whatever. You know, it means pre-league, pre-district, whatever it is. I I thought it was actual games, not the kind of games where the coaches are standing on the field behind you telling you where to throw the ball. So, yeah, not not great stats, but uh, we'll we'll reserve a real reaction until we actually get in the season. And if the stats are like that for, like, the first game, then, you know, there's going to be some cringe factor. Should I – would this be the sound? I think that's sense? harsh, man. I think that's, <laughs> that's that's a little overboard. I think that's harsh. You know, we, you know, it, it's it's not his fault necessarily that he's probably overrated. I think you know the 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 recruiting public publications have to take responsibility for running with that one. And they doubled down. You know, they had an opportunity over the summer to say, you know what? He didn't really go to any events. He didn't compete. We, from a policy standpoint, just across the board, doesn't matter if his name is Manning or or Brady or Cunningham or Elway or Namath, 
we got to go ahead and pull this back because, um, you know, he just he just didn't compete uh, the way that we have five stars and certainly players that are ranked number one at their position, let alone nationally, uh, usually evaluated. So, you know, but they did. They decided, hey, you know, we still think he's the greatest and and, and literally put out a, a whole ranking of players um, from what the last decade or whatever and had him tied for number one when he hasn't even played his senior year. I mean, oh God. Hey, you know what? <laughs> that's 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 on you. That's on you. You can't uh, blame the kid for that. And with that, we will take our break and we'll get back into some the high school schedule, a little Nicholas Harper talk and some Boulevard talk, Gerard. How's that sound? That sounds fantastic. All right. Well, we'll be right back after this quick break. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hurricane, how was that break? It was great. Got uh, some more water. I got some tea. So it was a long first half. We got to close out the second half. Or close out strong. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. You have to finish strong, Chris. That having two stars could be a lot better than having one. I haven't done that one in a while, so I just wanted to. I was going to say really one. didn't correlate with what I said, but no, I just wanted I just wanted to to throw it out there, but. We did want to touch briefly on the Boulevard. It officially launched. I know we talked about it on uh, the Parasol podcast and uh, Tunnel Vision. We had uh, Michael Jones come on the show briefly. There were some technical difficulties, but he still was able to, uh, to come on and talk about it because it had launched that day on Sunday. And they put out a lot of cool things that that they're doing, you know, they have some shows come out. They have a game show, video game show, excuse me, not like a uh, Price is Right thing. They have a, a music uh, show for athletes. They have a fashion show for athletes, and they have a taco one. Uh, just about, you know, getting their brand out there, showcasing some of their personalities. I believe the video game one is up. You can check it up on their YouTube. It's with Caleb Williams and, and the host. She's a former song girl. But, you know, some of the things... That were that were put out there in their post is, you know, they dropped that overhead expense to five percent. It was, I believe, it was fifteen uh, percent to start. Now it's five percent, one of the lowest uh, that they have out there. Uh, Ninety plus football players have opted into the Boulevard, and uh, Michael said that they expect that to, you know, get over the hundred mark 
uh, very soon. They uh, O-line, D-line have received uh, the majority of that total value so far, which I know that is uh, ear-perking to some USC fans, getting the big men, those trenches, uh, uh, NIL money. And they recently also held their O-line, D-line luncheon. That's something we reported on in the spring. That was, uh, you know, held through Sam Baker and Frosty Rucker and Sean Cody. They had uh, the O-line, D-line guys come on, interact, interact with donors and former players. There was a video that posted up there. Uh, you can kind of check that out, I believe, through the Boulevard's website. And they all got paid for attending, so that's a positive thing. They recently just announced their uh, sponsorship with a local dealership in a Mercedes dealership. And Jordan Addison and Tuli Tupelotu are the first two to kind of opt into that. And they can kind of uh, utilize the uh, the fleet of this Mercedes dealership. So that's kind of cool. But, you know, we're just seeing this. Uh, it's just basically the launch. We're seeing the be- beginning of Boulevard. There have been a lot of talks about it the last several months. But we're seeing it open up. But obviously they have that membership that also just opened up. And Michael had said within the first two hours of it opening up, they'd already uh, reached six figures. So people were coming in, people were donating hot. Obviously, SBR, Student Body Right, is looming. And I think the creation of Student Body Right really forced Boulevard to kind of look inward, go back to the drawing board, make some changes, make some changes for the better. Uh, And Gerard, I think that goes back to everything. Competition breeds the best. And I think SBR definitely pushed Boulevard to a new direction and some uh, different looks. But overall, they have this is just the beginning, and they've got some cool stuff coming out. And we're just going to have to keep monitoring what it looks like as it improves, see if what what kind of impact these shows kind of have for you know kids that want to do have their brand out there. It looks kind of cool. They have some you know the the production on it's good, but obviously. These things are, or you can talk about it and you can make them all pretty, but got to see, got to see it in action, got to see it out there and see if it works and sort of, you know, enticing kids to kind of be a part of uh, what USC is doing with Boulevard and and that kind of NIL route and this kind of collective plus and in a interesting time in college football and the NIL space. Yeah, the proof is in the pudding, you know, right. as we kind of talked about a little bit in terms certainly of recruiting. To some extent, player retention is going to be something with the portal and which kids are going where. And if you're able to keep your two deep, your three deep, you know, Alabama's done a really good job keeping their program and their roster pretty much intact. You know, they haven't had a lot of big time defections. And in fact, they've probably been able to bring over more players uh, that are top rated players into the program through the transfer portal then they've lost. So player retention is a big deal when you have players being able to transfer that first year without penalty. So that's a big aspect that uh, NLI is going to impact. I think it was interesting that they did bring up student body right in their original statement on the peristyle. And they talked about student body, right. And once again, trying to emphasize that USC as a school really only wants one collective or one uh, avenue, no pun intended, towards NIL uh, financial deals. And certainly there's a lot of looming out there when it comes to collective and booster run collectives. 
and what's been successful and what hasn't been successful and the collectives that are willing to pay money up front versus the collectives that are only willing to strike deals once a player enrolls. There's a lot of various different approaches right now that are out there. And clearly there are some schools that are waiting to see what the NCAA wants to enforce, what they can enforce. And there are those that are willing to just take a risk and push and be aggressive and say, okay, you know what? Well, it's better to ask uh, the forgiveness than permission. And so, you know, they did talk a little bit about student body, right? And the one thing that was mentioned specifically, which I thought is interesting because student body right has stayed away from it altogether. And that's recruiting. And this is a recruiting podcast. So in terms of NIL and how uh, it impacts the recruiting process, it's uh, first and foremost for us to talk about. But uh, they made the statement recruiting is not always about the highest dollar value. Uh, this being uh, Boulevard and saying that USC had a total package, including Boulevard, which can offer cash, representation, sponsorships, cars, travel for family, financial uh, literacy, compliance, etc. cetera, um, sort of talking about the various different aspects uh, that NIL brings. And certainly, you know, first and foremost, just the fact that they just came out and said, hey, you know, offering cash because Again, it's it's not palatable for a lot of people. Uh, they're used to having college football being an amateur model, and they're not used to hearing about these kids that are in high school still being offered uh, potentially millions of dollars to go to one school or another. But that is a reality. That is the, the reality that we live in, and it's probably to some extent going to be the reality that we continue to live in, and it's what's going to shape college football in the future. So we just kind of have to get over it. You know, we have to kind of move on from that point and understand that uh, NIL is about money and money does dictate. And and yes, true, it's not always about the highest dollar amount. And I would agree with that. I think there are plenty of situations that have already occurred where USC has been in a battle for a top rated recruit. And the, if the money is competitive, and it's just like this with anything, I think, uh, for, for most people, if you're still in the same ballpark, but you offer just a better opportunity, mm-hmm. whether it be in terms of sponsorships, will it be in terms of development, will it in terms of just enjoying that campus more or, or, or being at a school that you just like better? There's a lot of different factors that come into play that could be the difference between going to one school or another. But the money has to be competitive. You cannot expect a kid to go to a school um, because of those factors when there's $2 million, $3 million difference between them. At that point, you're going to have to understand that they are going to go where they get more money. And it's not because it's a little more money. It's because it's a lot more money. So I think that is being recognized and uh, you know, kind of uh, having to come to Jesus a little bit with that. And I know it's still going to lag a bit from the fan base and there's going to be plenty of people that just don't like it, don't like to talk about it. The recruits and their families are not going to talk about it for a while because it still just seems like it's about the money and nobody wants to be labeled as greedy or fixated financially. But I mean, this is something that can be the difference for a family. Uh, I mean, it can change your whole world. You, you know, you can be in a situation where you're quite frankly um, hurting for money and, and, and become a millionaire uh, literally over the course of a, of a few months. I mean, that's that's pretty significant. And so we, we have to recognize that and understand that's what's part of this bigger picture. And USC has to be competitive 
in that area. And I think, again, if they're competitive, if they're within the ballpark, they're going to win a lot of these recruiting battles. And there you go. And we will obviously keep having discussions about Boulevard and student body right, SBR, and kind of this ongoing civil war, not civil war. Again, SBR doesn't come on come online for another year, I believe. So, but we're going to have time to talk about it. And Boulevard made it sound like there's going to be unveiling a couple uh, more stuff over the next couple weeks and months. So it'll be a couple more stuff, a couple more stuff. <laughs> that is my official couple more stuff. That is the official slogan of this podcast. Uh, it is also 1030 at night, Gerard. And moving forward, you this was kind of your segue you wanted to have. <laughs> my segue was, uh, you know, Boulevard launches and um, an interesting uh, sort of occurrence here. And again, you know, when we talk about that NIL space, it's it's such it's so fluid and, and, and everything is moving and, and, and these, these schools are trying to figure out different ways to be able to, to harness the potential behind NIL. In South Carolina, uh, the East USC uh, has developed um, a, a interesting uh, approach to NIL, which mirrors something from USC West. And they struck a deal with a group called Park Avenue. And this is very similar, at least, you know, the cliff notes of reading what Park Avenue brings to the table for South Carolina is very similar to Boulevard. Um, It's the first SEC school that's really gone out and they've outsourced a group to be able to sort of represent them from an agency standpoint and give uh, some of their players the opportunity to be able to, to brand themselves and use that form to be able to brand themselves. And this is, and, and always has been, you know, sort of the difference between Boulevard and the other collectives. The other collectives are about, you know, giving money to players, okay, flat out. That's just what it's about. You know, what, how that's given and, and what the players have to do for that money is all, you know, vague and who knows what's really going on. Boulevard has always been about not just getting these players played, but building their brands and giving them an opportunity that in the future, long term, really looking at this in the long game of your career, you know, what can you do? Because we're giving you an opportunity to build your brand with real legitimate corporations and companies and services that you may be able to still have a a relationship with all the way through your pro years. This is not just Bob's lawnmowers and we're going to give you $50,000 to go sign with this school. This is an actual, you know, ability to not only, you know, from a standpoint of, of having relationships with these companies, but also learning what you need to do as a player, as a spokesman for these companies. You know, there's there's a lot to this. It's not one of those things where you just, you know, throw somebody on camera and say, okay, go ahead and do a promotion for us. You know, some of these guys are just not used to talking on camera. They may be nervous. So Boulevard has always sort of presented themselves as an ability to give uh, some representation from a brand standpoint and also some education from a brand standpoint, which, as we talked about with some of these players, some of these recruits specifically, they don't necessarily need that. You know, Malachi Nelson, he doesn't need that. He, Malachi Nelson is fine. He can speak on camera very well. He's right. been, you know, t- taught well by his family. And he has agent representation right now from Clutch Sports. So he doesn't need that. And a lot of the top players in these college football teams are not going to need that. But you've got plenty of players, more players than not, 
that will need some of this. And South Carolina, interestingly, has now gone out and linked themselves with this Park Avenue group who I guess they have an exclusive deal for a year that Park Avenue will uh, represent and, and, and have an NIL deal with South Carolina only. Uh, so they're kind of in the market, it seems like, you know, and Boulevard as well has, has talked about, um, or I should say Stay Doubted, not Boulevard. Boulevard is USC-centric, but Stay Doubted, the parent company, is is probably out there looking to represent other schools in a similar fashion that they are USC. So this is this is sort of what we're seeing become something that maybe all these schools end up having. You know, Park Avenue has some representation. They, they are an agency that's involved with some NFL players. They do have other players that are already on their docket. So this is the evolution again, you know, from the sort of marketing agency into, you know, actually doing deals for players. This is all sort of evolving. And Nicholas Harbor just took an unofficial visit to South Carolina. So this is mm-hmm. what makes this uh, germane to USC. And we saw crystal ball uh, to South Carolina. Now it's from one of the beat writers at South Carolina, but a lot of the talk was, you know, he took that visit down to South Carolina and really liked what they had to say from an NIL standpoint. We've talked about Nick Harbor, 6'5", 235 pounds, runs a 10-2 in the 100 meters. Uh, one of the most dynamic athletes that we've seen of our generation, that size and that speed combination is pretty unheard of. So he's a guy that has NIL deals. He's going to be way up there. Now, again, we talk about Malachi Nelson. We talk about some of the quarterbacks. They have agency representation already, so it's a little redundant. I'm not sure about Nicholas Harbor. I think he's a player that an agency could decide, hey, you know, we're going to take him in. We think that, you know, we may not make a bunch of money up front with him, but later down the line, he could potentially be a guy that we really like and we could, you know, make some big deals off of. You know, we could have a good relationship with him. He could end up being a guy that's a a big spokesman for Nike. Uh, He could do a lot of things on the track and field. Um, which is a, a really good sport because, you know, you can you, you when you're talking about name image likeness, you get to actually see people's faces and track. So there's a lot of, you know, potential deals and, and sponsorships and endorsements that can come through that. And then, of course, you have football, which is, you know, he's a, a complete um, unicorn in terms of that size and speed ratio. So, yeah, South Carolina was unveiling this whole Park Avenue thing. And we know Nick Harbour is going to take an official visit there again, um, which I think is September 17th. He's got Michigan September 13th, or excuse me, September 23rd. And then he's got LSU uh, in early October. So hasn't made uh, an official visit date with USC yet. He did unofficially visit um, over the spring. I think that's coming. I think USC is definitely right up there with him. Yeah, we Um, still like them to get an official visit. You still like them to get an official visit, and I think they're they're in a good position to get a late official visit, and I think that's important. I think you know there was a lot made of the summer official visits and getting the last official visit of June, and, and a lot of people were very critical at the one point because it looked like USC was going to strike out on a lot of players, and it's like, oh man, you know, that's a big deal. Like we should have been getting the last visit from a bunch of these players. Well, now we look back on it, and this is why you let things play out. It was so unsuccessful, you know, that big weekend has been pretty good to USC. You know, they've gotten quite a few commitments from that big weekend, regardless of whether it was the last weekend or the middle weekend or the first weekend. Uh, But I think as we get closer to signing day, I think that does become a little more important, kind of where your official visit is. And if you can get that official visit in November 
or maybe butted right up against early signing day. That's that's nice. You know, you want to kind of be that school that gets that last uh, real sort of, hey, you know, we really need you. You're going to have in-home visits as well. But I think that last official visit would be big. So if they're able to bring him in for like Notre Dame weekend and USC's rolling, then you got to look at Nick Harbour. And if he's going to play football, USC is going to be in a real good position. So we're going to see how that plays out. But I just thought it was interesting. You know, SEC, obviously very aggressive in recruiting. Um, this is one of the first schools that we've seen. And they're really proud of this. I mean, they're talking like, oh, man, Park Avenue. Oh, my gosh, we're going to we're going to kill it in recruiting. And South Carolina has been doing well in recruiting. I mean, mm-hmm. they've, they've got a lot of momentum right now, but I look at it and I go, yeah, that kind of sounds a little bit like Boulevard. So, you know, again, I we, we gave credit to USC for jumping out and kind of getting ahead of this thing with NIL. Once that, um, I think it was, what is it, CA 206, I can't remember what the bill name was, was passed in the Senate. Uh, it was like, you know, USC didn't waste a lot of time getting Boulevard off the ground. And, and, and I mean, they didn't get it off the ground, but they had that relationship. And certainly now they have staff members, former staff members that are at Boulevard. I think Sazna and Mike Bone really knew, you know, we need to try to create something. We need to get something going. And they thought about it and they got ahead of it. And you know what? Maybe it's the future. Maybe it's not the future. Maybe just a, a you know, grown home collective with boosters is the future. Regardless, I think you do have to give them props for being, um, for being proactive, you know, that's, that's always the thing, you know, we can sit here and armchair it afterwards, but I got to give credit to anybody who's proactive and really trying to think about the situation, look at all the angles and try to get ahead of it. And, you know, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't be flexible. I mean, we've seen that with Boulevard as well. They've been flexible. They've changed um, their model to some extent and they're kind of going with the flow. But uh, I think, yeah, the, the initial sort of, Hey, okay, this thing's happening, you know, NIL is going to be pretty big deal let's try to think about this and try to think how we can get ahead of the situation. And and also to some extent, obviously with Boulevard and you see that in their statement, try to protect ourselves somewhat as well, because we know that once you get boosters involved with things and people that, you know, are not necessarily in compliance meetings, you know, NCA can have a field day with that. And, and certainly that's something that USC has in mind. And then they are very, <laughs> very aware of that. Um, and that's something that's come up uh, clearly in some of their statements when and you talk about collective and you talk about NIL. Gerard, when you go on long talks like that, do you realize how long it goes? No. Like you in the flow? Actually, no. Time it's just for me, I, I, you it, just no. went. You just went. It's like a shotgun <laughs> thing. You just went. Well, I I apologize. It was, it was or, impressive. No, I'm just saying or, it's impressive. Or, <laughs> you just go like that. You got it like that, Hurricane. I just want to say you got it like that. I should have played that before, but I didn't know you were going to go go off like that. But Well, now I feel like you're just saying that just so you <laughs> can play that. <laughs> uh, maybe. Maybe. I haven't got to play that one in a while. I usually play at the top, but we have sponsorships now. We have, a, we have official sponsors to adhere to. Speaking of changing and adapting, the NCAA recently came out. We were going to touch on this transfer window for the NCAA transfer portal or the porthole. As uh, you like to call it, Gerard, uh, there's been changes. They're going to have a window of about 45 days post uh, championships for the respective sports. I believe this is for all sports where 45 days. That's the window where you can go in, uh, go into the transfer portal. So the idea is to, you know, slow down 
the process of the portal and it's kind of obviously just kind of been a mad dash to get in the portal and and find a new home but they're thinking this window will kind of cut down on the mass exodus or at least concentrate it a little bit more and kind of get that process a little bit less chaotic because it truly is a very chaotic process as as a, as a as two reporters that cover USC and obviously they hit the the portal hard this offseason and totally reshaped their team totally reshaped their roster uh using this uh this entity known as the portal. So this new window, I think it's going to be interesting to see, interesting to see if it's going to work or we're just going to see a lot more kids enter in a shorter period of time. So Gerard, do you have any thoughts on this new mandate from the NCAA? Yeah. I mean, I think first and foremost, the college coaches themselves have to be thankful for it because Mm -hmm. it's pretty much been a free for all and guys could jump in the portal at any time. And then it's all hands on deck. Uh, you know, when can we get him in on a visit? When, what kind of loopholes are there for when he can visit? I mean, there's a lot of crazy things that were going on with the transfer rules in addition to just the portal and, and guys being able to get in there at any time. So this restricts uh, basically the transfer market to two months. So you're talking 45 days post the announcement of the championships for fall sports. So uh, the two teams that are going to be playing the championship, you know, when we get to um, that college football playoff and we get to that final week where, you know, number one and number two are announced the day after that, you've got 45 days to be able to uh, jump into the portal and schools that are uh, going to recruit the portal. Obviously you still have those visit restrictions and what have you, but they're going to start doing their, their due diligence on, you know, who's available and who they want, what their board could look like with those potential transfers. And then you're also going to have another 15 days uh, in May. So half of that May evaluation period, you're going to have to be able uh, to jump into the portal as a player again, um, notify your school. And once you're in there, then those schools can contact with uh, contact you, you know, whether this kind of limits the amount of, tampering or the allegations of tampering uh yeah maybe somewhat because i mean you guys could just jump in the portal any time i'm sure there was a lot of sort of behind the scenes and contacting who was feeling it who wasn't feeling it at their schools and you know at certain times of the year particularly you know post spring or post season and there's still these windows that are basically there you got 45 days postseason and you've got that 15 days which is kind of right after the spring ball for most schools um that's when guys are unhappy (laughs) you know they're not getting enough playing time or whatever but i think it's good you know because you can get that through the middle of the season as well you know a guy could not play for two games for whatever reason and he's just mad and he's emotional and he jumps in the portal and all of a sudden now you know it's a free-for-all and as we've seen with the issue of tampering it's not him jumping into the portal it's it's what happens before that it's the schools that are hearing from his former DB coach or somebody that was a trainer for him or whatever. And they start putting their feelers out to these schools and saying, Hey, he's not happy. What do you think? Do you have a spot for him? And then these schools are already recruiting him before he actually enters the portal. So I think getting it off of the season is good. Just don't have a window during the season. That's, that's a first step. Um, and, and having these two, these two windows, kind of restricts it a little bit and makes it not such a free-for-all. So I, I think it's a good step. You know, is it, you know, the the 
the only thing that they need to do? Probably not. They probably need to do some other things as well. But it's something. It's certainly something. And I mean, certainly, I mean, the portal being the free for all that it is, I mean, they just put a story up on the 24 seven national page, talking a little bit about the quarterbacks that are going to be starting for college football teams, the, the bowl championship teams. Um, you're talking about uh, like, I think it's like 56 quarterbacks that are starting that are transfers this season. That's crazy. Yeah. That's nuts. I mean, it's a quarterback position too. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's a leader of your football program was probably playing at another school the year before. So yeah, there's definitely been uh, quite a bit of shakeup and I think most people down deep know that that's not the best thing for college football. You know, all the new faces all the time, you're already going to have, you know, different recruits coming in every three, every four years, you're going to have some turnover on your roster. When you throw in the portal on top of that, I think it, it just, you just kind of sort of lose, you know, what the identity of your football team is year to year and fans sort of, they don't like it as much, you know, they, they're, they, they feel like they don't know their football team anymore, and that's not good. Not good at all. Gerard, I hope you just – I just want to make a rule that you're not to enter the podcast transfer portal. The podcast transfer portal. I mean, yeah. there's other podcasts out there, but I don't mm-hmm. know if any allow me the uh, freedom to go on tangents as this one does. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You're not going to get that. Uh, not all any- about the dollar amount. I mean, hey, Boulevard said it. It's not all about the dollar value. Sometimes there's other things that come into play. Anything else you want to talk about, Porthole, before we get into our last topic, which is roundabout back to high school football? No, I mean, I think, you know, in that article, uh, to add in, you know, Link Kiffin made a comment about um, going after transfers instead of high school guys just because – you know, high school guys, there's a lot more room for error there. You're watching players that are developing instead of guys that are a little more like, hey, we've seen him play against college football competition. We know mm-hmm. what kind of commodity he really is, what kind of contribute uh, contributions he can really make to our football program. I think that's hurt the JUCO uh, transfers a whole lot. And, yeah, I think at certain positions, if things kind of stay the way they are, uh, where you can go out there and it becomes a little bit of a free agency, it could definitely hurt some positions as well. A quarterback position is an interesting one because, like I said, you want a guy that's a leader that sort of has earned the respect of your football program, and I think that's difficult to do in you know a spring and a summer. Obviously, USC is at that point right now where uh, with Caleb Williams being a guy that was playing for Oklahoma last year, you know he's got to sort of earn the trust of the guys around him. Um, but that seems to be a position where guys are, you know, you got two good players and one guy doesn't get named the starter. He's off after spring ball and he's going to another football program. And so there are certain positions. It's going to be interesting to see how many offers go out to high school kids anymore and how many guys end up, uh, out of high school, just going to, to, to just like the random schools, um, knowing that potentially they go and they show out, they could end up being a transfer and going somewhere else. That's a bigger program. You're saying they're going to do the UCLA method of recruiting and not take any high school kids and just all <laughs> Well, that's an extreme. I mean, that's definitely, <laughs> yeah, UCLA has certainly looked at it as we just want college football players to recruit. <laughs> that's what we're looking at. We don't want to spend our time trying to evaluate some 16-year-old kid 
and see, you know, down the line what he's going to look like in a Bruin uniform. Let's just go get the guy at UC Davis. Let's just go get the guy at SMU or whatever. And, and those guys that have played well at the college football level will just evaluate them out of uh, what they've done at college. And certainly, you know, from academic standpoint, that's also something that it, it's a little easier, you know, from transcripts and what have you. All that stuff is pretty much above board. Sometimes with the high schools, you never know. You know, you get a LaShawn McCoy whose transcripts were written in crayon. You know, you never know what you're going to get. Bold bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. Uh, And our final note, back to talking about high school football. We're just going to kind of primary you for this week of high school football. Obviously, USC has their season opener, but we got to put in some work on Friday before the big uh, college games are on Saturday. Gerard, this is uh, you texted everyone. This is a stacked week of high school football. We're going to be all over uh, the state for some games. I'm going to be going down to see Jacoby Lane, as you mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, his Arizona team, Red Mountains, coming out to the San Diego San Diego area to play a modern day, not that modern day in the Trinity League, modern day prep out of San Diego. So they're going to be going out there for a big road game. So I'm excited to go out there and see the new wide receiver commit. Speaking of people coming out, uh, Arizona, another Arizona team, Pinnacle, Deuce Robinson, the five-star tight end, he is coming out to – Pinnacle is coming out to play Oceanside, also in San Diego. I don't know if these two teams are carpooling together from Arizona. I'm not sure. But two Arizona teams will be in San Diego, and we will be out there. Uh, we also have San uh, Modern Day, the other Modern Day. They are playing uh, Corona Centennial out in your neighborhood, Gerard, the big public school versus the private school powerhouse. It's always a good matchup. Long Beach Poly will be at Mission Viejo. And then, as we mentioned, uh, Los Alas hosting Basha from Chandler, Arizona. Looks like their five-star defensive line pickup, T.A. Cunningham, will be playing in that game, making his debut in Southern California. So a lot going on. Uh, this weekend for football, not just college, but high school as well. Yeah, you're going to have the Honor Bowl going on at uh, Cathedral Catholic at Del Mar, uh, San Diego. So that's where a lot of the Arizona teams come in, and they play a lot of Southern California teams. It's a a good matchup, um, but certainly at the top, uh, Jacoby Lane just committing to USC for Red Mountain, going to play against Modern Day Prep, who has all the players that USC offered and stopped recruiting. Uh, from the Clay Helton era, you got Jerry McClure there. You got Trey Edwards, a linebacker who, you know, a lot of people were really high on when he was a sophomore going to his junior year, uh, committed to UCLA. Um, so some of those guys were actually up at USC for the passing tournament at USC. So USC did get right. to get a second look at some of those guys. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, how they play against Red Mountain. I'm not real familiar with how good Red Mountain is. Um, but uh, you'll see a little, you know, battle there, a little sort of matchup on either side of the ball with uh, Jeremiah McClure, who uh, USC really hasn't recruited very hard uh, since probably, geez, the late last year, and uh, Jacoby Lane, who they have committed. Um, and then, as you said, uh, Pinnacle coming out to Oceanside to play El Camino, Oceanside High School, and um, you have Deuce Robinson, who – uh, that's their season opener. That's, uh, I think, Jacoby Lane's season opener as well. So they're both doing their season openers in California. So Pinnacle, one of the better teams in Arizona, and uh, I would expect them to win uh, by a good amount. Uh, I don't know what El Camino brings this year, but um, I, I can't remember the last time El Camino was, like, one of the better teams uh, in San Diego. So that's an interesting matchup. Not really sure 
Uh, it's not part of the honorable to my knowledge. Uh, the honorable is all being played at Cathedral Catholic. That's actually going to be played um, in Oceanside. So uh, that's just a, just a random uh, sort of uh, intersectional out-of-state matchup for them. Uh, modern day, again, stacked schedule playing at Corona Centennial. You know, they got to they gotta bring it again. You can't just uh, say, okay, woof, you know, had that tough game against Bishop Gorman. Now we get a bye week. I mean, Centennial will run up and down the field against you if you have that attitude. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, Monterey's going to want to slow that one down. I mean, this is, a, you know, big boy football. They're going to want to try to slow it down. They're going to want to try to get physical. They're going to want to just really lean on Jordan Davis, um, Davidson, and make sure that they can, you know, sort of uh, control the clock a bit on Corona Centennial. Corona Centennial, you know, I would say maybe a little down this year, but I think in their opening game, they beat uh, San Diego. 70 on some. It was 85 to nothing, I believe, was 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 the, was the which is, you know, I mean, Centennial does that uh, sometimes to, to uh, those other Corona schools. So that's not necessarily out of the blue. But, um, yeah, Centennial, I mean, they lost a couple guys to St. John Bosco, you know, Aaron Williams, uh, one of their top cornerbacks. So it's going to be interesting to see what Corona Centennial actually has. That's, I think, the Fox game of the week as well. Uh, so that's a, a big-time matchup. Santa, you know, Santa uh, Anna Modern Day is actually going out to Corona Centennial. So in the past matchups, and they played a bunch of times, I mean, at least a handful of times over the past 10 years, and it's usually played at the Santa Ana Bowl. This is the first time I remember Modern Day actually going out to play at Centennial. So that's interesting. So that this is going to be a little different. It's going to be hotter. Um, it's going to be probably 106 degrees or something like that, you know, with the wind blowing uh, at kickoff. And then, um, you know, it'll probably be a low of like 96 uh, for the game itself. Um, and like you said, Beautiful. with Long Beach Poly and Mission Viejo, I like Mission Viejo. I mean, I saw them in the offseason in Mission Viejo. You know they're going to have some good line play. You know they're going to have some good linemen. But it's always, you know, how how good are they going to be at the skill players? You know, how dynamic can they be at the skill positions? And this is going to be a tough game for Long Beach Poly. You know, Long Beach Poly's got a lot of talent, but this is the type. This is, I mean, Long Beach Poly's kind of going old school. They're going back to the Jasco days where you know they ran the ball and they were physical, and that's always when Long Beach Poly's good. But this is a very good Mission Viejo team. So this is. Um, that's going to be a tough one. I, I kind of feel like Mission Viejo is going to pull it out, but that could be a pretty close game. It's uh, I think if I think if Polly had Nico Ayamayaleva, I would maybe say they could they could beat Mission Viejo. But I think right now Mission Viejo is kind of going to get the nod for me. I think that that they that they win that game. Um, and Los Sal, need Darius Curry to make some plays for them at quarterback. You got him, yeah. And I I just don't know if he can do that against Mission Viejo. Mission Viejo, like I said, they, they got dudes. They got some dudes at the skill positions. It's not just going to be line play. It's not going to be just good high school football linebackers. They got some dudes there. You know, they've got uh, they got Dejon Lee, who is like a 6'4", you know, 190-pound cornerback. I think he's 2025 um, that we saw at the USC – elite camp and was one of the best players, not the best prospect that I saw at the elite camp. I mean, he was a good looking player. They got a few guys like that, you know, tucked away at Mission Viejo that really haven't gotten a whole lot of notoriety. Um, everybody's talking about Mikey Matthews and he's a very good football player, very good wide receiver from Mission Viejo. They got some other guys 
that you're going to be hearing about the 2024, 2025 class. So, like I said, I, I kind of give Mission Viejo the nod on that. I think they win that game. Um, with Losa and Basha, I don't know anything about Basha. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, you know, Losa is trying to come back from that cross-country game. They definitely needed, you know, T.A. Cunningham in that game. I think he would have made a difference in that game. They wouldn't have beat American Heritage, but he would have made a difference in that game. Uh, a big guy like that, five-star defensive lineman at the high school football level is, is you know, a pretty big deal. He can do a lot to kind of change the other team's offense. And so I, I think um, Losau, yeah, you know, not knowing a lot about Basha, I think they could they could get on the, the winning side here of this one and kind of get some momentum back before they got to play Rancho, uh, Rancho uh, Margarita. Rancho Santa Margarita. I usually don't say Rancho Santa Margarita. That's I just say Santa Margarita, but for some reason I had Rancho on my head thinking Rancho Cucamonga. Uh, Basho went 10-1 and one last season, so they're pretty good. They have a really good uh, 2024 quarterback in uh, Damon Williams. He actually came to a USC camp, uh, the Rising Stars. Oh, that's Stars. right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. Four th- over 4,000 yards passing last year, 36 touchdowns uh, to the eight interceptions. So – yeah, he's a dude. He's a four-star dude, so it'll be a nice little quarterback battle, and this will not be an easy test. This will not be a, an easy uh, uh, team for Losal. This will be a competitive game and one you know they're going to have to fight for. Yeah, and that's going to be Saturday night. So yeah. that's going to be you know after the USC game. So uh, all those Losal players that are uh, looking at USC, probably not going to be on campus. I talked a little bit about Malachi Nelson and like how much he shows up to games and how much he's on campus. Actions speak louder. Words are going to say a lot about his commitment. Um, he's not going to be there Saturday. So <laughs> don't freak out about that. He's going to be getting ready for uh, his own game. Excuse me. Uh, Williams had over has over 4,000 passing yards in his career. He had 2,600 last year with 20 touchdowns. So I was looking at the career stats, not the season. My apologies. What, uh, what, what, what division are they, or what uh, class are they in Arizona? I'm not sure. Uh, I think they're class Max, in Arizona. Max Preps doesn't give me the class right off the bat. Well, it says it on their main page or what have you, but you have to go back and, and probably find it. I'm just wondering. Oh, uh, six six A Central. Okay, all right. You know, so I mean, they're they're. I think they're playing Seguro and some of those other schools that are some of the top schools um, that are in Arizona. You know, Chandler themselves has been very good in the past. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. I, I, I agree with you. I, if they're one of the top teams in Arizona, they can be competitive, you know. Yeah. Um, but usually those teams are kind of at the level of maybe like a, a Norco, um, you know, it's, it's somewhere around that range. They're, they're not like the top schools in California. Los Al, like I said, you know, they're, they're that, that's, that's about where they are well. They've got great talent. They've got some really good players. Um, they can make some big plays and they can do some things, certainly. But, you know, there's just some good football teams, you know, that, that have guys that have, you know, the coaches and, and this, the staff there uh, have been around for a long time and they just know uh, how to coach up their guys and have a bit of a system going. And um, culture, you know, we always talk about culture. I mean, it's the same thing in high school football. Uh, and I think, you know, Los Al's just trying to get that kick started again. You know, they've had a couple of years here. Um, and uh, they've got some good players coming down the pike as well. Uh, but they, you know, it's got to be some consistency. And then you start to kind of get a figure out, you know, play, what playing at that really high level, you know, that elite level consistently, what it really takes. 
And with that, we can move on to our final section of our podcast. As always, the listener questions. We don't have that many today. Uh, And if you want to send us a question for us to answer on this podcast, email us, email us at podcast at uscfootball.com. As always, I cannot say that. Uh, Make sure you put the composite in the subhead, the Latino guys, Menudo boys, uh, cilantro, Latino guys, whatever you want. Just put it in there so it'll get to us. That is podcast at uscfootball.com. Gerard, we only have three questions and two are for one person. So technically, we only have two listener questions to answer. Uh, This first one comes from Gregory from South OC. Hey, guys, in years past, what high school recruits wanted to commit to USC, but parents refused to sign the letter of intent because they wanted their son to go to another school? I recall an offensive line recruit was overruled by parents and forced to go to UCLA. The Sports Center announcement looked like a hostage video with said recruit crying after the announcement. Gregory from South OC. Gerard is obviously going to have more stories about this, but the one in my recruiting lifeline is uh, Jonah Taunau. Did I say that right? Did I, did I butcher that? Yeah, Taunau. Yeah. Taunau. Uh, big six foot five offensive tackle out of Narbonne. USC was kind of the lead school for a long time. Then Oregon kind of surged in. And then there was a kind of a, a push for USC to flip him. There was some uh, controversy about them not being able to get him his, his letter of intent. She didn't want him, her, her, his parents didn't want him to sign. And he ended up going, sticking with Oregon. I believe he was committed there. Uh, he actually medically retired a couple years ago. So, didn't really work out for him at Oregon in terms of, you know, his college career and playing. Uh, but that's the one that kind of sticks out in my mind. I I don't remember who he's talking about that committed to UCLA and was crying. <laughs> I, I, I honestly, perhaps, I it, man, perhaps that's the what he's referring to. Maybe he just got no, the school wrong. No, he said wrong. committed to UCLA. Yeah, I know. Maybe he got the school wrong. I don't Oh, I, uh, I don't remember Jonah Tana'au crying um so i i don't know i know that his mom was like no way with usc you know she really did not like some of the coaches some of the coaches on the staff she actually liked clay helton but some of the coaches in the staff she just legitimately hated and so it was like you're not going to usc whether you know it's oregon or what or another school it was not going to be usc I don't know, man. I'm blanking. I don't know of any guys that, that were forced to go elsewhere. I mean, we talked about Manti Tail uh, last week, uh, a little bit about that Netflix documentary, and he was crying his eyes out, you know, at the, at the ceremony, and his dad sort of kind of put his foot down about him going to Notre Dame, and, that, and, and many on USC side felt like his dad was the driving force for him going to Notre Dame over USC and that he wanted to go to USC. Um, you hear about that kind of stuff all the time. You know, the parents are pushing in, but at the end of the day, I mean, you're talking about a kid, you know, that the parents are going to be involved. There's always going to be a champion there. And so you've got to know those angles. You've got to know that, you know, if there's somebody that doesn't like you, you just try to diminish how much they don't like you. And you have to be very aware of how much pull they have, in the recruiting process. I mean, this kind of sort of goes with Jacoby Lane and, and talking about that. You know, there are family members that don't like USC and want him to go to Oregon. And so um, obviously with him making that decision, 
Uh, they didn't have as much pull as maybe they thought they did, but it doesn't mean that you're out of the woods with that necessarily. And there might be things that happen later down the line. They may still have influence later down the line. So you have to be aware of that. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I it's it's one of those things that you know you hear about on a signing day. When you've been doing this for 20 years, it's like whatever. You didn't go to USC. You know, he went somewhere else. That's fine. I mean, Sean Ryan went to UCLA, but he wasn't crying about that. You know, he liked Neil Calloway and um, was was big on Neil Calloway. But Neil Calloway got fired or was let go, or whatever the story was. And they brought in Tim Drevno. And Tim Drevno tried to legitimately straight up recruit him. And he just wasn't into Tim Drevno calling him all the time. <laughs> and it's decided, you know, he's just going to go to UCLA. And it was, it was, was fine. You know, there wasn't like a big thing about it. I mean, going Ellis McCarthy, um, 6'5", 310 pound, defensive tackle from Monrovia, five star many years ago. Um, weird dynamic with his family. And he really liked USC, but his dad was a big UCLA fan. And just, you know, I knew his dad and, and it never really came up like that. But I remember his dad telling me, you know, USC's recruiting him too hard. USC's recruiting too hard. He doesn't want to be recruited that hard. And lo and behold, he was trying to push UCLA the whole time. So he was basically trying to get the USC staff to let up. And he knew that they were just going to recruit him a lot harder than UCLA. But at the end of the day, Ed Erdron, Kennedy Palomalu sat down in home visit with him, his mother, his grandmother, and I guess his dad and the mother. They Probably wearing a UCLA shirt. They, they weren't divorced, but they were they were separated. And it was a lot of stuff that was revealed on the visit that they didn't really completely know. But his dad stood up and said, he's not going to USC. Stop. Just stop recruiting him. He's not going to USC. I'm not going to let him oh. go to USC. And it was just like, wow. And it just got really kind of awkward. And, and you know, Coach O, it's like, uh, it's been a while since I've been in that kind of situation where, you know, it was sort of like this uh, weird Dr. Phil reveal uh, that uh, there was just these, these differing opinions and everything. And so, um, I remember Donna Holmes, you know, I say, and, I, and I'm saying, I don't remember any now. That right. You're now you're just, my, now you're just like, he's on a roll. You know, half an hour later, um, Darnay Holmes, you know, his mom and his sister were big USC fans. They loved USC, but again, you know, he, he wasn't, uh, they weren't together with his father and his father, uh, was very close with the Demetrius Martin, who was the defensive back coach at UCLA at that point. And, you know, I, I think, uh, Derek Holmes, Really kind of wanted to meet UCLA, and there was some fighting going on there between the the, the two parents. And um, again, it's like you know, for the kid, it's really tough. Um, they're you know, he's got mom and dad; they're not living together anymore, and and they're kind of pulling him apart. And it's like, is his mom just going in a different direction because you know she wants to go in a different direction, uh, or is, does she feel like that's the best opportunity for him? And you know, his dad, you know, does, does he have? Um, you know, the, the, the best uh, sort of view on things when, you know, he's very close with one of the coaches. And I think Demetrius Martin didn't, he, I think he got fired at UCLA before uh, Darnay Holmes actually graduated. So, you know, it's one of those things is like, you know, you go in there because it's the best opportunity for you or it's because the coaches, coaches can come and go. But we see this all the time with recruiting, you know, with, with that kind of thing where, you know, you have the split families and things and, you know, the coaches, Sometimes they just line up and they feel like, okay, you know what? We're not getting anywhere with this, with this family member. We got to really work on the mom or, or whatever. And, and I, like I said, you kind of have to diminish the dislike from everybody as much as possible and win over whoever you can and, and hope that's the person that ultimately has the most influence. You know, mom may love the school and is the big fan, 
But if she's not really involved in the recruitment and she only pops up on official visits and in-home visits, she may not have, you know, the, 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 his, that recruits ear at the end of the day, if dad's the one just really running everything and knows the coaches and knows the teams and everything. And, and is the guy that's, you know, driving the kid down to the seven ons every day and, and there at the high school every day for practice, then, you know, he's going to have a little more say probably and what ultimately happens or, or what steers the kid. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting process. It's, it's something that, again, when we talk about all the facets of recruiting, that's one of them. It's the read, you know, and the read is not just what is the recruit thinking. It's also like who's positioned around him to influence him the most. And, and, and do we have that particular person on our side? Two things. I love the 180 of you. I just want to reiterate <laughs> of like, I, I don't know any, I, I don't have any on the top of my head Two, you maybe a minute later being like, acknowledging he's not no no just the story you were telling of a father telling ed orgeron in a home visit he's not going to usc you literally hit it what this guy wanted in terms of stories um and the other one do you think what you just said the read would have been a good podcast name for the show uh too ambiguous too ambiguous okay it could mean anything i'll I'll, I'll cross it out i'll cross it out i'm crossing you can hear it i'm crossing it out uh, and our final two questions comes from D from Central Valley, who always asks two questions. So shout out to D. If you only ask one question, I know it is an imposter. Uh, first one, USC has recently made offers to three defensive linemen, Elijah Huge, Caleb Bryant, and Sam Green. Who do you guys think USC has the best shot of getting? I just want to add, I don't think we actually hit on the new offer to Sam Green. Yeah, uh, that's, your, that's your guy. You talked to him. Yes, yeah, uh, six foot one, two hundred sixty pound defensive lineman. He is unranked, twenty four seven sports composite and the twenty four seven sports rankings. He is actually from Upper Marlboro, kind of my neck of the woods, and transferred to St. Francis Academy, a national powerhouse out there in Baltimore, Maryland. USC went ahead and offered. He has some interesting offers. You know, a lot of uh, smaller schools, uh, Old Dominion, James Madison, uh, Boston College is a recent offer. Uh, Penn State is an offer, Temple, he also lists uh, Texas A&M, and of course, USC. I did get to talk with him. You know, he called USC kind of a dream school. He does plan on taking an official visit. Um, I'm not really sure where he kind of falls on the board. You know, he is really undersized. Maybe he's kind of fits into that, that Dejan Benton kind of frame. Obviously, plays that are really good uh, national power. Uh, Shane Lee came actually came out of St. Francis Academy. So he doesn't really know Shane. Met him once when uh, Shane came back to to speak, but doesn't really have any connection outside of that. He, like I said, wants to take an official visit. If he was given a green light, I would imagine he would. It would be hard to beat out for. Uh, it would ha- be hard to beat out USC for a commitment. I just don't know if we're there yet in terms of you know him having a green light. Um, I would say probably. Hold on. What was the phrasing of the question? Who are they most likely to get? Who do they have the best shot at? Oh, the best shot at. Well, I I would kind of guess maybe Caleb Bryant because that's I feel like that's the one we know the most about. Uh, don't really know much about Elijah Hughes at this point. Still trying to get him um, an interview with him. Uh, I guess Sam Green would actually be number one if you. Think about if they have the green light. Caleb Bryan obviously has 
the Oregon crystal ball. So it seems like maybe they're kind of in the driver's seat. And just one is a, an unknown to me at this point in Elijah Hughes. Okay. No, I, did, I know I didn't answer that clearly. <laughs> I, I honestly, I don't know who USC has the best shot at this point. Yeah. I mean, these are very recent offers. We know that Caleb Bryant really likes Oregon as well. He just got done uh, with a commitment to Utah and has moved away from that. Uh, from Mississippi, you know, you got to get these guys probably on campus to get a better feel, uh, a better read on sort of, you know, them going cross country, basically, to go to USC. They're all out-of-state guys. They all really don't seem to have any real connection to USC. You know, there's no real angle there. So, yeah, um, it's it's interesting that, you know, they're, they're, again, trying to propagate a little bit that, to me, what that looks like is the, the strong side defensive end position. It's uh, kind of that Nick Figueroa position. It's a position where – yeah, these guys at the high school level are maybe athletic enough where they can dance around a little bit in a two-point stance, but really down the line you want them in a three-point stance playing as a defensive lineman more than a linebacker. So um, I do think there's there's some connection there with Mateo Ngulele and uh, where USC sits with him. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, there's There's no – to me, there's no clear like outlier in terms of like this is the guy. He's the most athletic. He fits the system the best. They're all kind of projects a little bit. They're all kind of guys that are really kind of lower on the radar that are just popping up. Um, Elijah Hughes, I think athletically because there's some track and field in his background. You watch him. He's pretty explosive off the line of scrimmage, but we don't really know what kind of competition he's playing against. At Washington Liberty, I think is high school he plays against. We talked about that last week, and it's still a little bit vague as to you know whether it's a good football team he's playing on or a good football team he's playing against. So yeah, this is a it's a weird position right now where you know USC's going down to um, maybe a plan D C here or what have you. You do. I, I would like to see you know just to see what happens if they make some runs at some higher rated players um, nationally. Uh, but and, and it's not like they're not. It's not like they're not going after Keon Keeley at all. They are. Um, but maybe some of these other guys that are on the board uh, that are committed to other schools. That's the whole thing. Like that's that's where there's a veil there. And these guys are committed to other schools. They're not going to say too much about interest in USC or other schools. They're they're probably more than likely. Uh, if they're not ready to start to like publicly waiver, they're just going to pop up at another school. Because they don't want, you know, all the backlash mm-hmm. uh, from that fan base from the school they're committed to. That's how it works. So we just kind of have to wait and see on that. But, yeah, these these are three guys that are uh, – I, I don't know if there's necessarily a green light among them. Um, they all have legitimate offers. They're all being recruited for sure. But like you said, you know, that's the difference between that <laughs> these days and, yeah, you know, we want you to commit right now. And the final question, asking this question because I don't, pay, I didn't pay attention to recruiting during the Helton years. Now that the season about to, is about to start, I assume we will not get many commits until the signing period of December. Can you please explain the recruiting process from now until then? Well, for a lot of these kids, obviously, it's their senior year. And a lot of them like to put recruiting on that back burner so they can focus on you know, trying to go out on a high note with their high school careers, whether that's, you know, compete for a national, a national championship, a, a uh, state championship, league championship, whatever, 
you know, they want to work towards having a successful final year in high school. So a lot of these guys will be putting recruiting on the, the back burner. Now, there are some kids out there who that is not the case. They still like to go through the recruiting process, despite the chaos of, you know, having their senior year of school and obviously playing their senior year of high school football. So it's it's a mix and match, but the majority of kids kind of take a step back from recruiting, focus on their fall seasons, and then let that pick up once their respective seasons ends. Um, you know, kids will still take official visits in season. You know, I've rec- I've uh, interviewed players as they're running off the field because they have to catch a flight out to take an uh, official visit uh, to, to Ohio State or Florida or wherever they're going uh, from the West Coast. And I've been at games where entire groups of kids that were going out to, you know, a big Ohio State game, they missed their flight because the game went uh, so late. So it's 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 a tough juggling act between the two, but there are some kids that do it and pull it off really well. But a lot of the kids will kind of put that on the back burner. You know, commits are uh, commits committed to schools are in a good position because they can focus on it. They can still go to games, especially if they're local, like USC commit can just go to games on the weekend, hang out, not really feel the pressure of, you know, the recruiting process, take an official visit. Usually at the end of the season, that's when USC is traditionally done. Bring those kids in after they're done with their high school seasons. They can focus on making that big decision now. So that's kind of what the process will be. There'll be a lot of kids on campus for game days and such, but for the most part, that's what it's going to look like. I guess maybe to add to that, you you do have potential for official visits during the year. Said mm-hmm. before, USC is not real high on that or haven't been real high on that traditionally. Um you know, I think as the game day atmosphere improves at USC uh, and you win games, you're going to see a better atmosphere. And then you'll see maybe the coaching staff more willing to bring in more kids during the season. But, you know, even the coaching staff wants to really concentrate more on the games. You know, that's the important thing. And when you have to entertain guys on Friday night and then Saturday night, sometimes that gets in the way of meetings and other things that the coaching staff is trying to do. And that was really first and foremost for Pete Carroll um his priority during the season he didn't want to have to deal with recruits coming in on friday nights when they wanted to have team meetings friday nights and things so they really kind of stayed that off until the end of the year we'll see if that is the same approach from the coaching staff uh that usc has right now i think though they will be a little more open to having uh, some 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 recruits come in during the season once usc gets to a point where like I said, the environment, you know, that you've got a packed house and you've got big games and you've got um, some matchups that kids want to come and see. You've got to utilize that. And I think certainly the game has changed with visits with the early signing period, you know, and so many guys are already committed elsewhere. But as I said before, you know, even with all the NIL have talk, a, It also helps that they have a bigger support staff now. Yes. they Yeah, they have a, an auxiliary support staff, which can help with a lot of that organization. Um, but as I said before, with the guys that are committed to other schools, because this is always the interesting thing, because you have so many guys that are already committed. Um, if you have guys that are visiting, there's only a small pool of guys that haven't committed somewhere that could go and visit. So it's always sort of the thing where somebody pops up somewhere that they weren't necessarily supposed to, you know, and we could see a guy, a guy like Dalen Austin uh, from Long Beach Poly who's committed to LSU pop up at USC for the home opener. 
You know, you lay low and say, I don't have any plans. And all of a sudden, well, you know, I got a ride with somebody. I decided to come down to USC because you know, I'm not going to make that trip to Baton Rouge um, or, or some of these other players uh, that are committed to other schools that could make those trips and end up visiting schools that they're not committed to. And then it becomes, you know, basically what we saw with Malachi Nelson, you know, with another fan base. It becomes the same thing that that's always going to happen. And I think um, if USC starts to win games and they get some momentum and they become nationally relevant again, they'll be on the winning side of those type of situations. We've seen for the past like three years really running, USC has always been on the side of, up. Oh, there's a commit. Yeah, he visited somewhere else. Nothing to see here. Yeah, he's not really looking at that school. It was just a, you know, a, a, an easy visit for him to make, and he has a friend that plays on the team, whatever. And then, you know, two weeks later, um, you know, please respect my decision. No interviews. I'm decommitting from USC. We've seen that plenty <laughs> of times, right? That's just you know par for the course. When you have instability, you have a losing football program. You are going to be the victim of that consistently, and so USC wants to get on the other side of that. And uh, if Lincoln Riley can can win games and USC can get back to that point, they will be for sure. You know, you start playing in some video, some big games at the end of the year. You know, Notre Dame's going for an 11 win season. USC's going for 11 win season, and they're both nationally ranked in the top 10. You're going to get a bunch of kids that just want to come out to that game. It's going to be attractive for them to see that atmosphere, to see USC. And you're going to have a stacked official visit list. And some of those guys might be committed to other schools. And that's really big because they're going to be signing, you know, basically two, three weeks from that standpoint. So that's the evolution of recruiting when USC is winning. Uh, when they're not winning, we've, we've seen plenty of that. And that is our final question, Gerard. And that's going to wrap up our show. Another late night edition. This time we didn't quite stretch into the next day. Uh, we're about a half an hour short of reaching to Thursday. But I thank you again for doing another late night uh, episode with me. Yeah, like I said, it's uh, it's hot. It's only going to get hotter this week. We're going to be out there at those games uh, Friday and Saturday, uh, you know, trying to stay cool as we can. But, um, you know, we finally got the 100 degree temperatures this summer. It just happened to be in September. It's been a pretty, pretty mild summer so far. So, you know, usually you get that in August or maybe the back end of July took uh, to September to get uh, the 100 plus degrees. So um, I think it's supposed to be 105 Friday when I'm going to be out there, Corona. So uh, that'll be fun. And um, yeah, you know, we'll see. Like the question was, you know, what can we expect between now and December? Probably not a whole lot in terms of commitments and things. But Again, I think some of it's going to go the way of how USC goes this season. If they're able to build that momentum, we're going to see USC try to take advantage of that. It seems like Lincoln Riley is definitely ready to pounce, you know, when they get the opportunity. So we'll see how it goes. Right now, you know, Malachi Coleman is scheduled for that September 17th game. Uh, we'll see going forward what other games come up, what other weekends come up, if they can slide some guys in, like maybe a Keon Keeley and get them on campus. And like I said, you never know. USC starts winning games. Uh, they got this boulevard thing rolling. You never know. You never know. And again, thank you to our official sponsor, Meredith Schlosser and her team. Again, that's www.meredithschlosser.com. And you can follow her on Instagram at Meredith Real Estate. That's going to wrap up another episode. I'm Chris. That's Gerard. And we will catch you next time on Composite Two Star Recruits.
New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.